This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. Jack Ryan, Xenomorphs, and I swear to God, this is a new episode of 302010. Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a rip-roaring journey across the best anniversaries television, movies, music, and more have to offer. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? On this podcast, men are from Mars and women are Diana Goodman. Hey. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls, and I was once a sitcom family on your black and white TV. <laughs> now I'm off the air. Yeah, pulled from there and dropped into reality. You're, you're lucky I get that. that. I don't know why I like that show so much. It's such oh. a strange show. I can't believe when it's all like, oh, there's a season two? Yeah. How? Yeah. How? Uh, well, it had, I think it failed on a network and another place to go. Co-funders, that'll do it. Uh, hi, what a great episode this week is. And I swear to God it's a new episode, even though we'll be talking about earlier franchises. This is so confusing sometimes. <laughs> Just because we have a, a later movie that's a prequel and a prequel movie that came later. But we're... <laughs> They're both prequels. Which, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. No, they are. Of the most recent... Alien and Jack Ryan movies we've talked about. These are both prequels this week. Jesus. We'll, I guess. We'll get into it. We'll get yeah. into Different it. decades. Holy shit. But an exciting one for music and television as well. Got some great films to talk about. In this episode, uh, once again, I got to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. Uh, you can listen to that Conan episode with JR and Diana. Uh, and the rest of the talking terrific television guys. Um, we're trying to do something to celebrate Classic Corner's 40th anniversary because it might be the most exciting summer in cinema history. Oh, so. yeah. June 82, bitches. Mm-hmm. It starts this week, man. And just, every week it's... Wait, these came out the same day? The same day. Both both of these. <laughs> really? I put up a bonus time. It was just like, man, is this the most exciting streaming week in history? And it was like george carlin documentary and rescue rangers and the next week was stranger things and (laughs) kenobi like what the fuck man am i ever gonna go to a movie theater again and i did to see bob's burgers so maybe we'll talk about that on a bonus time patreon.com slash laser time five bucks supports us all give you a bunch of extra stuff huge backlog of stuff including full-length commentaries with people you like from past and present of this show june 3rd through the 9th am i correct on that yes uh june 3rd through the 9th We'll be looking at the uh, what came out 1992, 2002, and 2012, and it is going to make for some interesting discussions because there's some pretty significant pop cultural and newsworthy milestones here. Ah, uh, enough. Let's just go back 30 years, as we always do, beginning in 1992, um, June 3rd through the 9th. Uh, a little bit of news to bring you into what's going on here. Not something I'll remember, but uh, New York Yankee pitcher Steve Howe is banned from baseball for the... S- for the seventh time? Seventh time. First time, okay, we'll give you a second chance. Now we're going to give you a third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance, sixth chance, and then they're just like, one more try. Was he that? One more, come is on. Is he dude. that good? In the lifetime ban, and then he came back two years later. 
<laughs> is he that good? What the fuck? I mean, yeah, he he was. I don't know. I've never heard of him. But uh, drugs, man. Oh, drugs? drugs are a hell of a drug. Not even performance enhancing, as far as I know. I think he just had a terrible cocaine problem. What the fuck? Where did he come out of the 80s? A lot of people did. Leave him alone. Yeah. He's Steve Howe, the greatest shortstop. Oh, pitcher. Pitcher. <laughs> pitcher. It says pitcher in the dock. Uh, Running back. Running back. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Forward. That, that'll be a great way to segue right into the movies of 1992, because they are... Uh, fun. They are fun. Beginning with Sam McMurray, Rhea Perlman. Man, that doesn't give you any hint of what this is going to be. <laughs> no. Lance Carruther, Loretta Devine, yeah. uh, Rip Duoconum, Thomas Dukeman. Dukeman. Yeah. Uh, Thomas McHale Ford, Karen Parsons, Christopher Play, Martin, and Christopher Kid Reed. It's class act, people. Reading is fundamental. Probably the smartest student I've ever met. <laughs> You want to get out of here? You go back to school. You waste all my classes this semester. And I'll let you live. Since I'm doing something for you, you got to help me pass phys ed. People got to think you're me. Body language is very important. Class act. Rated PG-13. Man, I could not tell you if this is a good movie. No. But, <laughs> but dude, there is something wonderfully like living in the moment about the kid and play movies house party and this being the upper echelon yeah well this they, is the only non-house party yes that they, did. <laughs> they are such creatures of their time yes. you know this is not a timeless film at all it is definitely this is june of 1992 and you can tell it's june of 1992 because this could be made no other time. But they really play exaggerated, almost cartoonish versions of kids you'd find in most 90s films, mm -hmm. you know. And it's definitely a heightened reality. This is not like John Hughes High School. Yes. This is, you know, one step away from being a cartoon. It's like 1.5, 2.5 dimensions. Instead of being 2D and fully 3D, it's like 2.5 dimensions. Yeah, especially because like quite a cartoon, but almost. Some of the clothing contains colors I don't even think are illegal anymore. <laughs> They're so bright. Colors not found in nature, colors only found in the 1990s. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, they kind of explained it of like, oh, they, it's a Prince and the Pauper thing. They accidentally like switch identities. And I was like, you've got to like get me my high school diploma or else I'll go back to jail. And you have to help me pass PE and maybe I'll be cool and get into this good college wackiness ensues. This is not an equal balance of yes, but if <laughs> kid or play cuts their hair finally. That's a that's a, a milestone. They switch no, they switch their gold tooths. Uh, no one gold tooth. I don't know. Like this played on HBO in the afternoons like every day. It's difficult yeah. for me to tell whether this is good or not. It's just comfort. Class yeah. act. It's no, a... it's not very good, but it does have a weird place in history as the first film directed by Randall Miller, Ooh. who's now the only director to go to jail for killing someone on a set. Huh? On the set. On the set. Which movie? He was responsible for a crew member's death. He was the director of Midnight Rider, which was supposed to be an Allman Brothers biopic starring William Hurt, R.I.P. And they were illegally trespassing to film on a like train bridge thinking that a train was not coming a unscheduled train came and a camera operator was horribly killed oh man yeah. right. this was only in 2014 
I know it. That's it was it was surprisingly not that long ago, and I don't really remember hearing about it. But I'm guessing maybe Alec Baldwin overshadowed any news relating to this topic uh, in yeah. my brain. Well, I mean, it was yeah. obviously a hell of a thing at the time, and the fact that no, he he pled guilty and, and took the rap, and he did all of two years and was fined and blah blah blah. That's but still, like yeah. kind, kind of a lot for you know involuntary like manslaughter or negligence yeah it was involuntary it? manslaughter yeah, i think so yeah. two years for... two years wow. he's like no and like a lot of probation like so he'll go back if he ever does anything bad two years seems like not all that much for getting away yeah i'm i guess i'm just thinking the fact uh, that john landis still walks free yeah adjusting for landis um it seems like a lot a lot considering no one else ever gets prosecuted for this i think if it was a major studio he probably wouldn't have received any punishment there'd be some cleaner there class act there and if i may channel larry king class act one class act anyway uh (laughs) moving on to the number one movie at the box office richard harris forgot about james earl jones in this jay freeman paulie walker also forgot about Sam Jackson in this movie, looking older than ever 30 years ago. Uh, Ellen, <laughs> Ellen Gear, James Fox, Thor, little baby Thora Birch. Baby Thora Birch. The first time I can remember seeing Scene Bean, Sean Bean, uh, Patrick Bergen, uh, Ann Archer, and Harrison Ford at his most pointiest. It's number one of the box office, Patriot Game. Get down! From the shadows of secrecy. There's never been a terrorist attack on American soil, Jack. To the light of day. I'm after the man who tried to kill my family. From the outposts of terror. He's never gonna let us go, is he? To the closeness of home. I don't care what you have to do. You just get him. Based on the best-selling novel. Come on! Harrison Ford, Patriot Games. The games begin June 5th. Rated R. You are a fucking liar, James Earl Jones. (laughs) There have never been foreign attacks? Uh, even then, I, yeah. I could name a couple off the top of my head. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, There's the LA Times bombing. There's the Haymarket riot. There's um, a couple instances in pre-World War II America. But yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, not really true. But I want to take a moment to pause and think about the last 15 years of Harrison Ford's life before this film. Yeah. Okay. He uh, broke out into Star Wars. Then he got to be Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. Then he got to be in Blade Runner. And then he had a whole bunch of successful one-shots like Witness. Mosquito Coast. And then he gets recast in the second of the Jack Ryan films in the Mm -hmm. first Hunt for Red October was a huge breakaway hit. So it's clear that he's going to be set up for future Jack Ryan films because there's already a bunch of really, really successful Jack Ryan books out in 1992. So how sit and pretty is Harrison Ford in 1992? I mean, God damn, that's a lot of huge cultural forces just all wrapped up in him. Yeah, I think it's it's easy for... And after this, what's his next movie? Pretty sure it's Fugitive. Fugitive. Yeah, yeah, he's so much better than it ever deserves to right. be. And he's a big reason why. I, I think uh, younger people don't have a good, don't have a, have a have a good look at Harrison Ford's career because kind of the stuff that stands up now or Indiana Jones and Star Wars. But like that dude was a leading man and stuff for like thirty years. And this is you forget about this being yet another franchise that he is mm-hmm. heading up. And and I feel like he only does two of them. Yes. and. He could have easily done a bunch more. Actually, this is when he begins feuding with Tom Clancy. They get in some major beefs over the films. 
And that could have played a role, but I think it was just Harrison Ford going like, I really don't need this. I, I think it's uh, Harrison Ford, you also may forget, made a lot of conscious career choices following heading up two franchises and made like presume what uh, uh, witness and mosquito Co- he, these movies these very unharrison ford movies and this is the beginning of the second phase of his career that i only saw upon rewatching this the gruff action guy what leads into the fugitive in uh air air force one may as well be a sequel to clear and present dangers yeah it, it, yeah, a lot of people have said that because Jack Ryan, the literary character, does become president. That that is something I also also well, this is just the beginning of his like finger waving, you do what I say, you listen here, see? Like that's yeah. not Han Solo. <laughs> that is not Han Solo, because Han Solo is just like, yeah. eh, eh. We're not yeah, doing that's that. Not shit. Indiana Jones either. That's not uh Deckard. You're right. Yeah. You're right. This is a this is a I didn't kill my wife. I t- yeah. <laughs> get off <laughs> my plane about, that's it there's the the yelling about the wife part of his career and the not yelling about it's <laughs> <laughs> the beginning of the wife part yeah and and, and, and i i did i did want to just publicly compliment paramount i was you know looking around target yesterday and it's like there's an almost no physical media or even digital media bothers to celebrate anniversaries at all and brand new in target 30th anniversary emblazoned across the top of Patriot Games with one special feature. I'm like, all right, good. Okay. I I am honestly shocked at that. I guess it's the uh, dad market oh, yeah. at Target, oh, you know? Yeah, wait, we had a, a serious discussion in this household about whether this or Red October is the ultimate dad movie because it's one of the two. I guess I'll listen to Right Stuff as an option, Yeah, but those are no, I, I'm going to say Red October because I do think it is the superior film to yeah. this film. I, this is a good film, though. This is a smart thriller that doesn't talk down to its audience. You have to, you know, follow along. The terrorists in Patriot Games are not straight up movie terrorists of the Cobra Command style. They are, well, we're a faction of the IRA. We broke off from the IRA. We actually have to get funding through donations. Jack Ryan's biggest threat to the IRA in this film is that he's going to go on television and make them look bad by showing his daughter in the hospital. And this will cause American Irish people to stop giving them money. And that's his biggest threat he he gives to them. (laughs) And you can't picture that in most 1980s action movies where the big bad guy is a terrorist you can't yeah, yeah. they don't they don't give a shit and, yeah, and but, I, I gotta yeah, s- i mean well i like that they get into but not too into the complicated very complicated nature of the ira and Sinn Fein, where it's like there's mm-hmm. they're all related but there's groups that they, i don't like what that group is doing and this group says oh no we need to keep fighting and let's take it to the civilians and other groups are like no let's get a you know we need a political solution and how they they work together kind of it, it's the hammer and the anvil where it's like if you have a bunch of violent folks the nonviolent folks even if they're unreasonable look a lot better all of a sudden like you can negotiate with them mm. but we disavow the violence but it does make us look better yeah and to 
Ireland has changed so much in the 30 years since this film. Uh, Ireland is today a genuine first world nation, very high standard of living. At the time this came out, Northern Ireland was richer, I think, than Southern Ireland, uh, the Republic Mm -hmm. of Ireland. And today that's completely reversed. Ireland seriously benefited from joining the EU. That's why they called it the the Celtic Tiger. The economy was Mm -hmm. doing great. And um, now with... Sinn Féin doing well in the Northern Irish yeah. elections, we might actually see a reunified Ireland in our lifetimes. Sin- which 30 years ago was yeah. off the table. Star Trek impossible. cuckoo land, a yeah. joke. It was yeah. a joke. And who knows? It's still very complicated. Nothing's uh, for sure. But yeah, the basically to greatly oversimplify it, the political wing of the paramilitary group you see in this film is now the biggest political party in Northern Ireland, the people they were fighting against. Yes, and exactly. It, As represented by Richard Harris standing around. I just, <laughs> I am not a fan of these movies. I, I'm finding out. As mm. watching this, like, it's just, a, I don't know. It's just, a, at least Harrison Ford's a little more of an action hero than mm. other Jack Ryans mm. that we've, I'm watching them in the row in the 30-20-10 row, so I've seen Hunt for October and Some of All Fears most recently. Yeah. What's what's a complex thriller you enjoy, Chris? None. Okay, None. there you go. Then, you know, this is not your this is not your film. Maybe because, maybe like a, yeah. a thirteen days or something like that. But I, like they're they're not comfort watches for me. And well, no. and I, I watched this a bunch back in the day, having being a little kid, having no idea what's happening. But I'm still. This is probably a good Jr. question because I think you're. This is the, this our second Jack Ryan movie in a row, and it's just yes. like I'm still like, all right, you don't have any Arab cliche terrorists. That, that's, but is that is that yeah. a, is that maybe more to do with when the books they're adapting were written? Yeah, the, well, the books were Cold War books. Although so some this, of all fears they were originally the bad guys. Yes, but that's a 1990s book. Right. Uh, okay, right. right, right. It was, I think, written after this point in 1992. The breakup of the Cold War completely derailed the Jack Ryan series because it was completely designed to be a Cold War thriller, and suddenly there is no Cold War. Right. And that's when he started branching out and had Arabs be the villains in Some of All Fears. But at this point in 1992, Patriot Games is a prequel to hunt for Red October. And I think that's shown in this film, because Is in it? this film, the Soviets are still a going concern, and uh, Jack Ryan is lecturing at the Naval Academy. So Right, but there's mention that like he was in the CIA, and then he comes um, back in. Yeah. So that, I think it's not that's technically That's what leads to my, my next, because I was reading... There was some trouble. The book is 100% a prequel. The, the, oh, the okay. book, The Patriot Games, was set in 1982 and 1983, and, and, which wow. works for the Troubles in Ireland. That is like mm-hmm. some of the worst years of the Troubles, which, again, echoing through history, right now the UK government is really wrestling with how to deal with a proposed amnesty for people who fought on the English side of the Troubles mm-hmm. and the Irish side of the Troubles. And they're... they're fumbling around with it 40 years after the novel was set. And 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 I believe behind the scenes there were there was some issues with the rights of this book and they were just going to jump right into clear and present dangers 
and it did make me glance at like, what the fuck is the timeline here? And I, I think <laughs> for the movies, it doesn't really matter. Like no Jack Ryan movie yeah. follows another, really. Not really. And, and he, they'll explain it at the beginning. Does he work for the CIA? Did he used to work for the CIA? Well, yeah, they, they explain it generally at the beginning of what is his job. And this he's basically a civilian again, still, <laughs> question mark. Because Hunt for Red October, he was basically a civilian who got roped into this. And it's like, yeah, he's a civilian. And then he gets, you know, he accidentally saves you know, a member of the royal family from the IRA. And now this faction uh, led by the bad guy from sleeping with the enemy is like super pissed about it. Mm. I take it back. Some of all fears was published before 1992. So mm. the publication order is hunt for red October Patriot games, Cardinal in the Kremlin, which has never been filmed then clear and present danger. Then the sum of all fears. Gotcha. And so. then okay. Jack Ryan, the Amazon adventures um, on earth. <laughs> and, uh, but the, it, it, I don't know. Jack We're... Ryan, Amazon series is a reboot, so it's it's taking the entire series and just mixing it all up. So oh, who God. knows? We'll okay, know. I'm sick of trying to figure this out. Let's just talk about this movie. <laughs> and as, um, as a kid, as, it's, nice, it's as, a nice and clean actiony thriller. Yeah, a couple little action set pieces. Uh, they're talking about geopolitical stuff in a way that makes you feel smart, even if you don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, uh, Sean Bean gets killed at the end, you know, setting up uh, decades of that same thing. What do you want? Uh, now I want to know what is the first time mm -hmm. Sean Bean was killed? But yeah, he's definitely had a, a bunch of stuff before this. And, and I, sure. as, as a kid, I sure I saw Hunt for October and this and had no idea they were in the same universe. Because, like, this yeah. was pretty complicated for an 11-year-old. You, you do, there is no lore that you need to know from one Jack Ryan movie to the other. No, at no, all. You don't need to know anything. And uh, yeah, I mean, taking over for directing, it's, uh, John McTiernan was Hunt for Red October. This one's Philip Noyce, who's an underrated action director. Um, I mean, I think the most recent thing of his we talked about is not an action movie, Rabbit Proof Fence, but is a spectacular Beautiful. movie. Also does Clear and Present Danger, Dead Calm, super good thriller. I love Dead Calm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Pa Patriot Games. Oh, and uh, Salt. I think he did Salt too, and yeah, a bunch of stuff. He's he's just a working guy. I, I enjoyed Harrison Ford in this more. I just like this as a Harrison Ford movie, like more than I liked mm. to watch Alec Baldwin in Hunt for Red October, even if it may be a better movie. This mm. Harrison Ford is a better Jack Ryan than Baldwin. Hundred yeah. percent. I agree with that. But he's got he's got more to do here. Like from the first scene, yeah. he's jumping into action. Yeah. He can't really fire a bunch of bullets at the bottom of a sub. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess you could say that Jack Ryan is along for the ride in a lot of Red October. He's not the one leading the action, whereas this is Harrison Ford constantly reacting to threats against his family and stuff and this whole like unfolding terrorist plot and it turns out like oh they've got like a secret camp in libya and it's not sure they don't even know if the libyans know they're there and then they have like a a pretty neat sequence of like the uh night vision view from like a satellite mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. the the camp gets cleared out that's yeah kind of disturbing yeah this is the first movie that i saw or can remember seeing that had night vision goggles and night vision uh, dots dying in mm. front of me. It was, I think it was a more striking visual in 1992 than it is today. Mine yeah. was the rollerball remake. No, I... <laughs> nah, sounds the lamps. That's the first time I saw oh, night vision is a thing. They make glasses and you can see in the dark. Yeah. yeah, Baby JR wanted one of those. I think I ordered it from the back of a comic magazine, and it did not work well. It, it is strange. Like, they're so obtainable now, they're boring. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think one of them came with a Call of Duty pre-order, like a pair of night vision goggles. Uh, yeah, but... that's true. I've I've night vision cameras set up in my house. They're just oh, right. there. I I can find out if you know a skunk gets into my crawl space again. <laughs> anyway, we can move on. Patriot but... Games. Uh, solid, I... dude. Yeah, kind of a solid, solid recommend for me. I'm a, yeah. I'm a dad, and it's right up my wheelhouse. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm not saying I hated it. It's just like, man, I don't want to watch any more of these for a while <laughs> after, after some of yeah. all fears and uh, Patriot games back to back. And this is streaming on uh, Paramount Plus as well. Do you know what the difference is between a dad film and a regular film? Oh, God. He's smiling. This is going to be awful. Uh, it's a parent. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. All right. Moving on to television of 1992, June 3rd through the 9th. Anything but Love Ends, which I imagine um, is a bad sitcom. It is a bad sitcom with the weirdest pairing of all time. <laughs> that is the Richard Lewis, Jamie Lee Curtis sitcom. Wow. Two actors you naturally put together. I mean, boom. I only remember the pilot from this where the main character is reading upside down jamie lee curtis's private notes and i remember thinking at the time wow i should study so i can read upside down and i'm so glad i never wasted my life studying to read upside down because it's never come into play until you go to russia that's the secret of that Ah. language uh, there you go. And yep. then and also this week, something I do not remember, but it's interesting. Fox trying to get some of that young cachet of MTV. You have the Fox MTV Guide to Summer. Oh, no. What on earth could this be? The summer of 92 just may be the hottest ever. Yeah, so hit it. And you'll see why on the Fox MTV Guide to Summer. Get an inside look at the summer's hottest movies, television's hottest shows, and rock and roll's hottest tours. Are you ready? Plus, we'll talk to the summer's biggest stars, including an exclusive behind-the-scenes interview with Bruce Springsteen. When Cindy Crawford and Tommy Davidson host the Fox MTV Guide to Summer. Tonight at 10 on Fox 5. Fox 5. I did not have Fox 5. I do not think any company or companies own youth loyalty in 2022 Mm -hmm. the way fox and mtv had a lock on it Mm -hmm. in 1992 i mean you put those two companies together it's like the entire youth culture is those two companies in 1992 yeah something something i don't think any other abc cbs nbc would not have bothered to offend its viewership by reaching out to mtv so Mm -hmm. there is something kind of monumental there a network Still, way more people are watching network television than have cable at this point. And MTV is just something, let's be honest, millions of people only have heard about in 1992. Well, and, no. Wait, you're acting like it's 1982. MTV is fucking yeah, massive. Cable is not that massive compared it's to... pretty Compared massive. to network if viewership... you don't have cable, one of your friends does. It's true. It's true. Yeah. But like, uh, but it's like free MTV, basically, If even yeah. if you've just heard of it. So this looks insufferable in a like a package of a bunch of shitty junkets <laughs> but uh it says they were showing tom cruise and michael keaton and mel gibson in there for a movie we all talked about as well as you two on tour blah 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 mtv's guide right. to summer with a great it... mo money mo problems logo oh boy it looks like in 1992, 60% of all U.S. households had cable. 60%? That's way more than wow. I thought. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, look, I appreciate that the youth still liked Bruce Springsteen back then, but this is also the second year of Lollapalooza with its best lineup ever. 
<laughs> All right. I'm sorry, but Smashing Pumpkins and Butthole Surfers <laughs> and, and Soundgarden and Nirvana are. Jesus and Mary Chain are all going out on tour together. Well, they guys. didn't give Fox and MTV the exclusive like like the boss did. I guess. So he gets the billing. Another television baffling obscurity that I remember very well because it was on multiple networks, not unlike the Fox and MTV guide. Hi, honey, I'm home. Has its season two premiere where the Nielsen's yeah. learn about sex. Oh, no. Yeah, because the Nielsen's are a 1950s sitcom couple who find themselves in the real world, as their theme song so eloquently explains. Yes. We were once a sitcom family on your black and white TV. Now we're off the air, then pulled from there and dropped into reality. Life was once much duller. They put color in our monochrome. Still she gabs all day and spends my money. I find the situation funny. Timeless. <laughs> Timeless. That theme song has stuck with me for 30 clearly in years but yeah yeah i w grew up watching nick at night so i got like all these 1950s tv shows that they were referencing right and i i don't know who this was made for other than baby jr though it, it, baby boomers who watched donna reed show live maybe yeah just i, I yeah. think not until Nick at Night started playing Saturday Night Live did my parents seem to give a shit about Nick at Night. That Nick at Night was a thing I watched, and they yeah, didn't exactly. care at all about like Patty Duke show and Donna Reed, Dobie yep. Gillis, like that. For some reason, those were things I like. <laughs> I like so. Yeah, yeah. Same. Uh, my my parents grew up in the literal 1950s, and they didn't ever rewatch their TV shows from their youths. Um, hmm. Maybe we're just all sick in the head for rewatching our stuff from our youths, but uh, they never did. No, know? no. I th well, I think I, again, I, I, I always try and put out that unclear theory of mine. Like before streaming, people really fell in love with what they like through syndication and reruns. And that wasn't mm. happening as much in, my, in our yeah. parents' generation. Uh, it was few and far between yeah. shows that aired every day over and over and over again. Mm. That's that's a good point. Uh, but this show did feature the last appearance by numerous stars from the 1950s as their character, as their sitcom Still, characters. This has yeah, this has as their sitcom, sitcom characters. characters. Yeah, I'm seeing. Uh... This has Mary Stone from the Donna Reed show in this episode. Yeah. Which, yeah, Shelley Faberay. How about that? Yeah, this I is guess a, she was she was still working. She was on Coach, or I think Coach has ended. But yeah, to see people like Eddie Haskell show up, or Rosemary from Dick Van Dyke show, or uh, Dwayne Hickman from Joby Gillis to just be like there as that character again is so so weird. I guess I will give him a little bit of credit. As fucking bizarre as this show is, it's basically Brady Bunch the movie before yes. Brady Bunch the movie. And 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 the same promise. It was like I had it had Nickelodeon marketing it heavily at me. And it, the first season was aired on ABC as well. I think occasionally in TGIF. Yeah. And this was the first TV show to air on network television and then immediately be rerun on cable television. They called it instant reruns. Yeah, kind of like the only thing I can think of is like Family Guy for years would air on Sunday or like Sunday on Fox and the next Sunday on on Adult Swim. That's yeah. what this was doing. And I think this is Nickelodeon only as from here on out its last season. But it was surreal and it, it was it's very memorable. And I, I I remember the show as well. And of course it's, it's only addressable by YouTube. 
nowhere sorry go ahead it's available nowhere available nowhere i searched high and low there's about three episodes on youtube and as far as i can tell there's nowhere else to watch any of this and i get it i actually looked up they had a hi honey i'm home reunion special during quarantine oh wow yes (laughs) guess how many views it has received on youtube Uh, that hurts it hurts i'm gonna guess what's that what is that one that YouTube uh, stops at until you get more, like 313? We got 313 from Chris. Uh, let's go 2,000. 236. Oh, boy. oh no! Oh, yeah. Oh. So I watched the entire thing, and so I increased its viewership by about half a percentage. Oh. Um, but uh, I learned that the stars of this show used to deliberately walk by as the studio tram tour around the Nickelodeon studio was going, just so the tour guide would point them out and say, hey, look, it's the stars from Honey, I'm Home. Wow. Not like that prima donna Clarissa never comes out of her dressing room. Took that yeah. tour is what I'm saying. And yeah. but now, now for one of the think hmm. what last question on this show, because we've talked more about Honey, I'm Home than anyone has in 25 years. But I've got <laughs> one more thing. Could this ever be done today with shows from the 1990? Uh, I think hmm. it is. It, well, like, uh, oh, shit, I was trying to I had an example. I mean, this is making fun of how someone of the 1950s sitcoms would just be blown away and completely fish out of water in 1992. Huh. Could you do someone from like a 1988 sitcom in 2022 and have them just be fish out of water? Hmm. It, the difference is less, but yeah, there's definitely different. I mean, there's a different, very different way that sitcoms play now, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, I'm drawing hmm. a blank. I can only think of Kevin can fuck himself. If you haven't seen that show, like <laughs> yeah. never heard of it. That's great. Interesting. It, it has a sitcom laugh track shell. And then whenever the woman leaves the room, it gets dark and single camera and she wants to kill her fucking fat, sassy husband. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, probably the most indelible image of television of possibly the entire the year. Animaniacs sang about it. The Animaniacs. Day made this a moment you can't ever forget because president presidential candidate bill clinton appears on arsenio hall uh and sits in with a house band on saxophone with his sunglasses and it's in in the animaniacs theme song i think that has given this legs for generations just by being in that theme song definitely for people for kids at the time and generations later like they know bill clinton played the saxophone and they've probably seen the clip where he plays heartbreak hotel on Arsenio and Arsenio is freaking out and the audience is freaking out. Every boomer in the country is freaking out because I hate to steal a line from Dennis Miller from back when he was funny, but he was like, he, he can actually do something. <laughs> he has an actual <laughs> skill. And if I... he can speak Spanish, I'll fuck myself. <laughs> yeah. It's the first time a presidential candidate seemed to have any sort of personality or yeah. ability besides standing and smiling and giving off good vibes. Interest. Interest outside of politics. At least or now you see like Joe yes. Biden with a bike helmet. <laughs> I am really coming to realize that 1992 is 100% the first modern election. It's yeah. the first election where I'm seeing things that could happen today and be news. I'm seeing the 24-hour news cycle at work. Yep. And I'm seeing candidates try to connect with pop culture and try to fight against pop culture and it's it's today you know in a way that 1988 
wasn't. I cannot yeah. imagine a pre-Bill Clinton candidate playing the sax. And I know that seems tame because <laughs> Harry Truman played the piano. There's plenty of other instances. But Bill Clinton deliberately went on television. Look, look at me. Cool. No, it's yeah, like if, he's if you... cool. He's appearing to a younger audience, a more diverse audience, and this is this is virality. This is yes. a viral moment. It's something people that he is creating. What do you remember the, about Michael Dukakis running against George H. W. Uh, Bush? He was in a the tank, tank, and he looked very dorky in it. The tank, and that um, was something. That was something Bush would never have to stoop to. What, what really is happening? I don't think any presidential candidates had been on late night talk shows at at least not since the the 50s or when you could sit down and talk to if, Dick Cavett uninterrupted for an entire hour. Yeah, and if they did it was Tonight Show. Yeah. Arsenio is is, you know, the hip young up and comer. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's what the youth of today are talking about, you know, get out of here grandpa Jay Leto. But yeah, I mean, between this and doing a, a town hall on MTV where they ask him about gays in the military and mm -hmm. ask him what kind of underwear he wears and important questions like that. Briefs. <laughs> it, but yeah, that was it, another thing. It was, it was a like, big deal. it was a big deal. He shouldn't have answered such an inappropriate question for the president. Yeah, it's, it's astonishing how many things Bill Clinton said during this campaign that conservatives thought like, this should ruin a man. Such as this little moment that would go on to air quotes haunt Bill Clinton. But here's the deal. When a politician says something, if you're in politics, the cynicism about politicians is so great. People thought, well, this guy calculated this whole answer and he calculated it so that he thought, well, maybe you won't burn me quite as bad if I say I didn't inhale. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. They asked me a question I didn't know they were going to ask and I gave an honest answer and that I didn't inhale was a nervous afterthought. I was sort of laughing about it after 22 years. Yeah. I mean, that's all that was going on. I just sort of laughing in my mind about it, but I got beat up about it because everybody thought I calculated this answer. You know, maybe I should, maybe I should be more calculating than I am. <laughs> <laughs> when you see that yeah, action, <laughs> maybe bill <laughs> should i turn the folksy up 14 percent? i yeah. think i will remember back when that was the most controversial thing i ever did uh, <laughs> made oh, a joke about marijuana God. yeah a joke about marijuana and there was also so much stuff about like did he dodge the draft for vietnam right I and it kind of that, bummed yeah. me out that he never just said fuck you he did i ain't fucking going over and getting fucking killed why don't you ask bush senior son what he did um, yeah, after yeah. that, finally, I think that might... No, I don't want to say that's the last time Vietnam was an issue in an election, because 2004... No, that's... Yeah. Swift boats! Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> God damn it, but... Oh, yeah, Bill Clinton is... He's so folksy, he's not calculating. Yeah, I don't... He's fucking <laughs> I don't. I don't know if this swung the election, but my parents were voting Democrat, and I forget who he was running for the nomination. Was it Jerry Brown? Yeah, and well, there were a bunch of, people. A bunch of yeah. people. I mean, some of them like Paul Songus. Like, I'm sorry. My parents were in like the Jerry yeah. Brown camp, and then slowly but surely, yeah, we're a Clinton family. Whatever you say, Dad. <laughs> and I don't know if this is the breaking point, but it was goddamn close. So, anyway, yeah, moving in to the Vigi Games of 1992. You want me to play this? I've heard this clip so many times. I do love it. Yes, and it. it I love the clip. It's it's going to mention the game that came out this week at the very end, but I do miss original animation and voice acting in video game commercials. Hey kids, it's the Golden Joystick Award! <laughs> the most unsportsmanlike conduct on Game Boy. Bart versus the Juggernaut! Yes! The best superhero performance on NES, Bartman meets Radioactive Man! Yes! 
best performance on SNES. Oops, Bart's nightmare. I don't believe it. Are you little? Look for a winning Simpsons video game for every system. Don't forget Krusty's Funhouse. Look at my cook, man. It's winning. Oh. They're, they're advertising like almost three dozen games in that commercial. <laughs> Every... Because that's how many Simpsons games yeah. we're going to talk about before the end of this year. Yeah, I mean, it was it's incredible. such a force in 1992. Every system and... had a different game, or and then they'd occasionally get ports of the other games. And he opens his jacket, and the one that had the biggest multi-console launch is Krusty Super Hunt Funhouse, which is out this week, and very, 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 very technically the best Simpsons game on consoles. I was going to say that. It is 100% the best Simpsons game on consoles. In that it was created as not a Simpsons game and then retrofitted. It's a Lemmings-style game. There's rats (laughs) that march forward, and your job is to get them as crusty into the extermination machine. It's very tangentially Simpsons related. There's a bunch of quality of life improvements that I don't know what 1992 was thinking. Um, it doesn't tell you when your health is going down. You just have to kind of memorize how many yes. hits you've got. And I remember exactly when Krusty gets stupid. hit by something, he goes, whoa, whoa, <laughs> And then whoa. if you get hit too many times, you die. Whoa. But you don't have a like counter to just go, okay, that's how many things. It doesn't tell you how many rats are left to kill. And it's just like, really? Just... Put that information there, video game designer from 1992. Come on. And uh, we also have Thunder Spirits out this week. Pro- perhaps the game I'll award with the most unnecessary words in it. Gary Kitchen's Super Battle Tank, <laughs> colon, War in the Gulf. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Gary yeah, Kitchen. That's really the whole title. Yes. <laughs> that's the whole title. Yeah. I mean, this is not that far away from the Gulf War, guys. Mm-mm. I mean, it's, it's basically like a major Ukrainian war game coming out next year, Mm. which I don't know, maybe they'll do that, but I kind of doubt it. At least not one focused towards kids because in 1992, the super, this wasn't a PC game. It was only super Nintendo and that's a kid's market. So it seems a little weird to me and it has literal tank controls, which is not something I think kids enjoy. It's kind of slow for a super Nintendo game. Mm -hmm. And the first of a, I think would become a, franchise the legend of the mystical ninja is out this week so go on go on uh out on super nintendo and uh we have an interesting comic book anecdote for really interesting imo 1992 image comics start being released after a bunch of comics artists defect from dc and marvel and other major comic book publishers and create a creator-owned self-published you own this you own these characters spawn one hits the uh, store shelves in in june and then eric larson's savage dragon arrived in june and i believe that's one of the longest running unbroken comic series ever that eric larson has continued publishing savage dragon the longest i think there might have been a break in spawn and then jim valentino's shadowhawk and jim lee's wildcats uh which comes out in august but image was a big deal still kind of is like as you yeah so baby jr bought a ton of spawn number ones because i was convinced it was going to be worth something and i still have them and they're worth about five bucks a piece maybe which is just barely keeping pace with inflation that's why jr doesn't buy bitcoin people i got burned by the comic bust but yeah yeah image comics was huge If you can recall, not The Phantom Menace, but the buzz before it came out, Mm. that 
what's image comics was like for the comics community in 1992 it was going to be this huge thing that was going to change everything i mean it's still it still it, does that like i don't think ed brubaker's gone back to marvel and that's where walking dead gets created i, I was know, under image yep, comics yep. And... the biggest legacy from image comics is the walking dead or the kingsman or any of the other dozen non-Marvel, non-DC comics that followed the image model because it was breaking with the two-company near monopoly mm. that existed in 1992 that really set comics free in a way it hadn't been before. I mean, Marvel and DC would never, ever have published The Walking Dead. And on, honestly, um, my favorite thing about image is just like, dude, letting a story end. They're allowed... Yeah. To create something great and let it end, and then revisit it later if they feel like it. But letting something end, that ne it's exhausting. Every great new comic is kind of run to the ground and then has to be revitalized and rebooted over and over again. But then you get these great yeah. Marvel and DC writers who get to play in different universes and make shit like Scalped and uh, Southern Bastards. I think that's both Jason Aaron. But yeah, I love I love Image, and they they price their trade paperback so low you can typically pick up like the first trade of something for like 10, 10 bucks on, on occasion. Early image writing was not very good though. No, Honestly, true. it was more about the art popping and having more pouches. And the violence. Characters than you could count. <laughs> and the violence that you could do things and you couldn't violence. do in um, Mar Marvel and DC. And if comic books aren't your thing, what about regular books such as men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Oh my God. God, this fucker's a juggernaut. I mean, I worked in a bookstore five years after this, and we were still moving copies like nobody's yeah. business. It spent more than two years on the bestseller list. Wow. It uh, sold at least 15 million copies. It spawned self-help seminars, themed vacations, a one-man Broadway show, an attempt wow. at a sitcom, workout videos, a podcast, apparel lines, fragrances, travel guides, and his and her salad dressings. <laughs> Uh, wow no. cherry on top i did not know about the salad dressings i need to find these salad wow, dressings isn't her salad dressings if i eat the male one i die yes it's true <laughs> no you grow a penis that's how it works it's oh, probably solve a lot of problems for a lot of people it's probably just heavier on the vinegar <laughs> anyway yeah it's uh written by a guy who calls himself john gray phd his PhD was from a correspondence school that Hell was not yeah. certified that was right down the street from where I used to live up in Marin County. So I guess the university was right by the O'Reilly's Auto Parts. And his undergraduate stuff is all from like Maharishi International University. And the idea of it is that men and women don't know how to communicate with each other. And so he uses this weird metaphor and says that, yes, men are like this and this and this and women are all, all like this, this and this. And if you understand each other, then you can communicate better, which I guess I agree with that last part. <laughs> I also don't agree that all men are one way and all women are another way. Women do be shopping, though. Oh, I guess bitches be shopping, <laughs> yeah. According to the Hi, Honey, I'm Home theme song. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, I, I hate these things. I hate them. I, I hate anything that tries to oversimplify the complicated. And guess what? Human relationships are the most complicated thing in the world. That's awful. You know that this is mostly bought by women who are trying to understand, how come he won't listen to me? Yep. And then does it give her like hints on how? No, maybe it gives her like little tricks of stuff. I don't. 
no, I hate this. It's also over simplistic and dumb. And don't put me in the fucking box, man. 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 You Ugh. don't know me, man. I'm going to get your salad dressing, man. Then I know how to talk to boys, I guess. Unbelievable. Fuck men are from Mars. I hate that shit. Yes. Fuck that. Please but... put in the comments if you read it and it like helped you or something. I'd love oh, that'd be to... wonderful. I'd it... love to hear something like I, that. I would love to have a listener that old. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to hear from a lot of people. Oh, my God. My mom would not stop reading that book and trying to talk to my dad about it. Yeah, and then he I can see it. Yeah. But once again... I don't like to make stereotypes about gender, uh, but women are down for self-improvement and men are t- are taught to believe they're born perfect. So just, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if there No, the any... only thing wrong with you is it could be fixed by lifting weights. Yes, or or getting a, a or being a millionaire. Yeah. And anyway. That's really your problem. 1992 well, music, June 3rd through the 9th, uh, Jump by Criss Cross is still number one and is kind of... I'll be honest, nearing exhaustion by the by the time oh. it, the, the summer ends, n- even kids don't want to hear the song anymore. <laughs> yeah. Until then. We've got almost all metal to combat it this week. That is crazy. Uh, Angel Dust by Faith No More. The Crimson Idol by Wasp. <laughs> uh, what's that an acronym for? I forget. I think it's eh. not good. Uh, Change Everything by Delamitri, uh, Ferment by Catherine Wheel, and Legion by Deicide. And then uh, let's close out with Black, Black Metallic by Catherine Wheel. But stay right there. We have an alien movie to talk about. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash Coming into 2002 with Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne off of Let Go, her debut album. Oh boy. Boy, were yeah. my punk rock friends pissed about this and it seems like <laughs> nothing now, but like, oh boy. I loved it at the time. I thought it was a, a very fun 
poppy song. Well, yeah, but it's it's like she's taking on this punk aesthetic, but she's this little Canadian girl, and oh, she's such a poser. It, it wasn't, yeah, Man, it wasn't. So... I really thought she would be a flash in the pan. I'm shocked she's still around. Yeah, okay. it wasn't so much so much co-opting the style. Then they didn't interviewed her, and what do you think of the Sex Pistols? And I think she's her quote was like, "Who are the Sex Pistols?" And like you, these, these are for oh. my women punk reference, like you, bitch. Oh, I hate her so much. Who were the Sex Pistols? Anyway, Music of 2002, June 3rd to the 9th, also include new releases from DJ Shadow with the Private Press. We also have Storytelling by Bell and Sebastian, Thought for Food by The Books, Electric by Jack Ingram, Cookie, uh, the anthrop- ooh, Anthropological Mixtape by Michelle and Dickie Ocello. That's a lot of syllables. Details by Frau Frau, Diddy Vegas, the self-titled debut. Um, Life Sorry, Goes Dirty Vegas. Oh, Dirty, <laughs> dirty Vegas. <laughs> Life Goes On by Donald Jones. Uh, Suicide Notes and Butterfly Kisses by Atreyu. Under the Influence by DJ Quick. And Warriors of the World by Man of War. A little metal squeaking in there. And Foolish by yeah. Ashante is still number one. Still number one. It is going to be number one for a couple more weeks. And I can't fake it. And mm. then what? what's a plant that's pretty funny, but it's also number one for so long. And uh, a little bit of news to bring you into the wonderful world of 2002. On June 6th, a uh, near-Earth asteroid explodes over the Mediterranean Sea between Greece and Libya. I don't even remember this. Yeah, this was uh, 26 kilotons. That means picture 26,000 tons of TNT exploding. And, yeah, it didn't affect anyone. Um, (laughs) Oddly enough, we, we get occasional happenstance like this uh there was a comet that hit norway and killed no one so so far there's not been a single recorded fatality from a comet in all of human history man i want to be the one i want to be the one or asteroid or asteroid wait kamchatka or what's it the big explosion in russia in 19 something it didn't kill anyone oh my god well i guess there's like four guys out there so who would know man i bet I will be the first person killed by a comet, but it'll be the fucking cleaning solution of the reindeer. <laughs> uh, uh, also, uh, 20 years old this week, in, in internet memes, Oolong the rabbit balancing stuff. I have no idea what you're talking about, so here's a picture of a rabbit with a pancake on its head. <laughs> okay, now Obviously, anyway. this is how you communicate. Yeah. Yes, these are memes. Yes, I, I can... What do you want? It's a very cute little rabbit, and... He balances all kinds of shit on his head, but a pancake is especially cute because he's got a little pancake and it's a hat. Mm. Oh, let's get into movies of 2002. June 3rd through the 9th. Some of all fears is still number one of the box office two years from the debut of Patriot Games. Neat. Uh, also out this week, Jeremy Sisto, Anna Ferris, Angela Bettis, and May. Um, this is one I had not heard of, but... Yeah, it was a little horror movie that... Uh, is a, sounds incredibly disturbing horror movie that I saw a lot of horror fans being like, it is a crime, not enough people have seen this, uh, you know, it came and it went, no one's heard of it, you know, it spread through word of mouth eventually about this, like, really, like, lonesome, isolated woman who's got, like, a doll as her only friend. And, and it's not a cute doll. No. It's a super <laughs> creepy Victorian doll that has to be kept in glass. And her mom gave her this as a child to make her feel better and didn't allow her to play with it. Uh, what? Uh, yeah. Uh, she was trying to make a horror movie, apparently, Mom. No. Yeah. Yeah. She. Good job, horror movie mom. Keep it in mint uh, condition, but, dear. It might be worth something someday. But uh, this lady grows up to be pretty disturbed, and she eventually begins to cut up people for their body parts to make 
a life-size doll of her own mm. out yeah. of human flesh. You're great and big the fat ending person. is, I think, I'm going to spoil it, so skip ahead if you don't want to spoil her. The doll starts speaking to her, and it tells her that she can't see. And the only way she can see is if she cuts out her own eye. Mm. So she cuts out her own eye and puts it into the doll, and then with, like, two seconds left in the movie, the dead flesh doll begins to move. And we're not sure if that's just in her crazy mind or if this is supernatural and the doll is now moving. It's like that, uh, shit, what was that black and white anthology thing with the dummy movie? Anyway, anyway. Yeah, so horror fans, if you haven't seen May from 2002, it's a pain in the ass to Google because you May 2002 yeah. film <laughs> and, it, and you get, you know, some of all fears and you're like, come on! Or they made movies based on SEO. Yeah. Well, and we, then another kind of horror movie. Alyssa Milano, Ryan Reynolds, Bill Bellamy, and Jerry O'Connell in Buying the Cow. Yeah. Oh fuck me! What the? I don't know what was going on with Jerry O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell. He's making these awful sex comedies that are just offensive to everyone. This one has wow. Ryan Reynolds as the best friend who wakes up after a bender and thinks he slept with a man, so that makes him gay. So he tries to be gay, even though he's clearly not gay. Um, yeah, misogyny Hilarious. and homophobia. Hilarious. It's good times. You know, sex comedies don't have the most awesome track record in the world, but I feel like they were at their absolute worst in the early 2000s. Yeah, the post-American pie era. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why? Why you got to be... Why are you gonna be offensive about this? Like, I I would love for some other killjoy feminist, because I'm sure shit not gonna do this, but to do a contrast and compare of buying the cow and tomcats, <laughs> and see which which one will end the earth faster. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I was this trying. This is less well known, but tomcats is I know what you're talking. So offensive, yeah, and just not funny. <laughs> like you can be offensive if you're funny, but you just no, you just don't. Fuck all y'all. Wasn't important back then. And uh, man, perhaps the <laughs> oddest uh, duo pairing in cinema history. Jesus. Yeah, but it's, we're, we're kind of back into Tom Clancy territory, but yeah. with just the worst people involved. Daniel Sanjata, Brooke Smith, John Slattery, Gabriel Macht, Peter Stormare, Kerry Washington, and then the inimitable duo, Chris Rock and Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Fast friends. <laughs> In the movie Bad Company. To prevent a catastrophe. And the only operative who can help me has been murdered. Which leaves us with only one option. My twin brother was CIA. We need you to stand in for him. So when do we start? Now. From producer Jerry Bruckheimer. Rise and shine, Mr. Hayes. Oh, you! And director Joel Schumacher. Hopkins. Don't shoot the bomb. Rock. Don't shoot me either! Bad Company. Rated PG-13. <laughs> it's not just that Chris Rock has a twin brother. It's that he has a twin brother he doesn't know about who gets <laughs> killed. And then he, who was raised in the ghetto, has to become part of the CIA and then use his street smarts for spying. Oh, God, why? 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 Why, is, why are any of these people doing this besides... I mean, a paycheck, I'm sure, is quite wonderful. Um, well, and just Chris, it, Chris Rock is following that Eddie Murphy trajectory. Like, You're right. This is just kind yeah. of 48 hours of terrorism. Yeah. yeah. And, and just took a bunch of roles like this. And this maybe is probably biggest Hollywood paycheck. And then sort of like, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to do like Kevin Smith movies and write my own shit. 
in, in uh, hair documentaries. Yeah. Yeah. Just start writing your own shit. If this is what you're doing, take one of these. You probably got, I don't know, eight, $10 million off of this. Yeah. Go, go do what you want to do. I mean, I guess the only thing that's even a little bit interesting is that this has a scene filmed in the World Trade Center and it's the last large production that ever shot there. Wow. Huh. But that also tells I mean, you how film had to be that. Yeah. yeah how, how long was this in production? And they <laughs> held on to it a little bit because terrorism and, you know, this many... time, oh, they're Serbian, I guess. Yeah. Or how many potential reshoots they had to do. Yeah. There, it sounds like there were a bunch of those too. Oh, 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Oh, and, and the, very a uh, Joel Schumacher jokes, film. <laughs> the, I mean, the critics' jokes write themselves when you have the word "bad" in your title. Yeah, you're just teeing it up, honey. Yeah, and then, no. uh, but the bigger movie of the week. Uh-huh. <sighs> okay, all right, all right. Uh, Angus McFadden, Shirley Knight. Oh God, Fianula Flanagan. That's not a real name. Close Ma- enough. Maggie Smith, James Garner, Ashley Judd, Ellen Burstein, and Sandra Bullock. Divine Secrets of a Yaya Sisterhood. Get ready to celebrate three generations of laughter, friendship, I'll knock you into the middle of next week, and I will kick you, and secrets, what are you, some kind of saint, that's me, that can only be shared between mothers, huh, and daughters, I am so Divine Secrets of the Yaya System. Man, I'm getting to see the trailer, and I just want to point out all over it, American America Online keyword Yaya. That's <laughs> oh, oh where does where do you figure that? Where where else is that gonna go? Are you gonna get Greek grandmas or get your yayas out by the Rolling Stones? Or is that what that means? <laughs> Somewhere else entirely. I, I have not seen this, so that's what Yaya is grandma? Technically, I mean, yeah, uh, Yaya is, is what you call a Greek grandma. Okay. You know, it's instead of Nana or Bubby or something like that. But so it's based on the best selling book. It is adapted and directed by Kaylee Curry, who wrote Thelma and Louise. Mm. And so you expect some good female bonding. And, you know, yeah, you get a whole bunch of female bonding because it's about Sandra Bullock has all these problems with her mom, Ellen Burstyn. And then we have whole long flashback sequences to when Ellen Burstyn was young. And we understand kind of like, how did she get to be the way she is? Turns out she went through shit too. So you shouldn't complain about your shitty childhood, Sandra Bullock, because your mom went through shit too, which is like, Uh, there's a great part in this film, which I really liked where uh, Sandra Bullock has an interview with a reporter where she talks about how tough her childhood was. And then she goes, her mom's ready to get mad. And she says, that's not what I meant. But over time, she comes to the conclusion that is indeed what she meant. And that is indeed how she feels about her childhood. And this, to me, is a good exploration of how we can often have mixed views of our own childhood. And it can kind of take us a while to process it. Yeah. Yeah. I, just, I, I, my expectations were a lot higher because... I love this cast. Mm. This this is some of my favorite people. You know, I love Ashley Judd. I love James Garner. I love Maggie Smith. I love Shirley Knight and Fanula Flanagan. Like, I, I love all these older actresses. And yeah, the Yaya Sisterhood is like their friend group. Um, and, you know, they talk about all the, tra- you know, they went through a lot of travails because it's the 40s in Louisiana and bad things happen and someone died in the war. Oh, that's and- why it had the Popeyes music in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the idea of like, you can't blame your parents for all your problems and like everyone has shit that they've been through and you don't know what it is and how it affects people. And yeah, I like, I, I wanted 
that to be better mm. it just yeah I, I just was not feeling it it felt way too shallow for me and i was bummed because i thought like well this is some heavy chick flick territory i definitely got to lean into this one and so far every heavy chick flick that i've made myself watched i ended up really enjoying like dude mm. go watch fried green tomatoes over this come on that was way more interesting where sandra bullock's all about steve her finest role yeah. there's even even in that there's stuff to take out of it i guess just <laughs> first first like, never say that more there are so few of these like heavily female-led movies yeah. about mothers and daughters in intergenerational trauma like come on released in the summer up against attack of the clones <laughs> Yeah, this is your at bat, man. You gotta hit a home run. I'm sorry, you have to for us. Ah! But, no. but no, yeah, mm. not not for me. Divine Secrecy, I Sisterhood. Sorry. All right, all right. Well, I I'd, I'd rather move on to television as well because <laughs> yeah. I didn't get to see this. But what I did see, despite not being able to believe it, whenever they were promoting it, June third to the ninth of television, Crank Yankers debuts, <laughs> and I I think Just- I remember stupid show adam carolla promoting it on like i think it was dennis miller live he's like what it, you got what do you got coming up and he's like uh when i got this show with uh prank calls with puppets he's like what <laughs> like that's not a real thing and it turns out to be one of the more enduring franchises i think it's been rebooted two or three times on several different networks if you didn't see the paramount plus commercials they're using cranky acres puppets to promote this service because it's Crank Anchors keeps coming back. It's been on MTV. It's on Comedy Central. Then it goes to MTV 2 and then back to Comedy Central and then back to online. But fuck me if it's not funny. So, so stupid. Yes. And I generally feel bad for anyone who has to answer the phone for their job because I've had to do that and it sucks. That is one of the things I, I do have a problem with embarrassed humor where it's regular people and yeah the the meanness is in the theme song we'll have fun (laughs) at the expense of others maybe even their mothers come join the crank yankers tonight (laughs) yeah but they they i don't know even in 2002 i just wasn't i wasn't down for that yeah but they also they have so many good improvisers and comedians come on and then they reenact the call to have something visual (laughs) they reenact reenact it with a bunch of muppets sure (laughs) why not i the combination of things makes no sense to me and yet it's god it's fun but it's so stupid it's it's wonderfully it's it's not something i can binge but every time i just see it like god damn that's i think tracy morgan is there right off the bat oh my god special ed that's a that's a puppet that doesn't get to come back anymore uh, I believe Jim Florentine's guys, Jim, it, it, it gave people who were becoming famous for prank calls, a venue to do that on television, which is kind of crazy. If you think about that, how do you put prank calls on television? (laughs) Yeah. And, and and it it was something, come on. I did it as a kid. I did prank calls Mm -hmm. all the time. Like, and some of it tragically is like, I want to call this girl, but I can't do uh, my friends are pushing me at a slumber party and I can't do it. And then I have to turn it into a crank call. I saw that happen mm-hmm. so many times, <laughs> so many times. The closest I ever came to a crank call was I call, looked in the phone book. I called George Washington. I, I, his name was George Washington and I called his number and I was like, is this George Washington? And he said, yes, it is. And then I didn't have anything else to say. So I hung up. <laughs> we, 
We would, dude, we prank, dude, all the time. 8675309 was a number that worked oh, uh, in no, my area. Those poor bastards. Oh, those, I, I would change my phone number. In dude, a dude day. we'd be drunk at like in two in the morning day. and they'd answer, Jenny! Jenny! Like, <laughs> they would still answer. We would call the Walmart's uh, customer service department and complain about things that never happened. We would prank call Popeyes to get free food. Tons of prank calls. Yes. Uh, I ordered the beans and rice, and it was all rice and no bean. Maybe one <laughs> single bean. And it always worked. It always worked. It was a pain in the ass, but you get free food. Uh, but Crank Anchor's surprising uh, longevity. <laughs> yeah. I I tended to do, like, I mean, my friends would, you know, just have way too much caffeine. And we tended to call a number that spelled something out and then tell them that. Oh. <laughs> we also, yeah. oh, man. In the date. Do you know that your phone number is 444-BABE? And in, in <laughs> they'd the, be like, no. I did. We'd leave them a message like, hi, no, we're just uh, calling to tell you that your number is 821-SLUT. So you can tell people <laughs> when you give them your number that it's 821-SLUT. And they thought that'd be easier for you. <laughs> yeah. If you want to make a montage of me as a terrible human being or a kid, and this, we all did this. Back in the pager days, there was this one payphone that we discovered you hit zero, the operator picks up. You curse her out until she hangs up. You get free phone calls. <laughs> so, like, there'd be a line of kids at this payphone just oh, no. yelling, berating, <laughs> usually, let's just say, usually a female operator. Say whatever you can to make her hang up. And then you get a free phone call. How does that call. work? I don't know. I mean, it was the only, it's it was set the up only... so that if the operator hangs up, yeah, it was one you get phone. a free phone call. It was a malfunction. I th- they fixed it eventually, but it worked for fucking years. <laughs> it worked the, the entirety of us having pagers. <laughs> oh Jesus! Uh, crank yankers. Anyway, anyway, crank yankers. Fun, fun stuff. Kind of, in my opinion, the only funny thing I've seen Adam Carolla do. <laughs> yep. Uh his Bertram character. Anyway, also on TV this week, friend or foe debuts with a, a question mark. The hell is that? Uh, yeah, it aired for less than a year, and it has over a hundred episodes. What the uh, fuck? Game show yeah. or soap opera? Game show. Game ah, show. Uh, three teams of two strangers attempt to persuade their partner into sh- sharing the winnings instead of stealing it for themselves. So, you know, it's Prisoner Dilemma, the game show. <laughs> Don't even understand. What about Russian Roulette? That's a, that's a show that debuts? <laughs> yes. What? Uh, yes, it's it's another game show. Four players in a six-panel roulette board, and if you get a wrong answer, you drop out of the game, literally. You literally oh. drop. <laughs> I'll call this merciful. I hate it. Celebrity Deathmatch ends it's, this week. Again, really so stupid, but often very It worked for me when I was no, young. It, I mean, I, probably by 2002, I wasn't into it, but yeah. I think Late nineties, drunk at college. Watch Bill Gates fight Michael Flatley, the uh, Lord of the Dance. Yeah, that was hilarious. It's, it's like Play a nation, guys. Come on. It's like a GameFAQs forum turned into stop motion animation. Mm-hmm. I can't stand it. Uh, I, I loved it at the time. You're right, but like every time I watch it now, it's ex- I find it excruciating. Oh, I I haven't gone back. There are many things that should not be rewatched. It was just what you liked at the time. There's no reason to go back. I think I've mentioned that I've tried unsuccessfully at least four or five times to watch an entire episode of He-Man and I've (laughs) never been able to get through it. Even when I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to power through the... Nope. I'm out. Can't do this. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine wanting to watch Celebrity Deathmatch now. But late 90s, yeah, I loved it. It was funny when I was drunk. <laughs> and speaking of time, it's Hamtaro time. Because Hamtaro debuts, let's say, somewhere. <laughs> somewhere, it's, yeah. it's confusing. Uh, it's if a... you've seen the little hamster on the internet, that's Hamtaro. Yeah, he's so cute. I didn't know that it was like a manga and like anime for, for stuff. Kids. Like, oh, look, a cute guy. It's, a, it's, like it's for it's kids. And it was a, a genuine Japanese show that gets translated to network television. Um, well, it, it's 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 simple. It's little hamsters going on their big adventures. I mean, that's an easy market for kids. I, I think. Love I already love it. I think it was over in Japan a while ago, and then, but also big debuts that I know fucking nothing about. Kim Possible debuts in two thousand two. Oh, so yeah, uh, Kim Possible is a teenager who is also a spy. And most episodes have two plot lines. It's Kim being a super spy, solving super spy issues, while she deals with her ordinary home life at the same time. Mm. Kim is theoretically popular at school, but she doesn't have any other friends besides Ron and a mole rat. Her oh, parents... that's right. This is another yeah. one that's like, that's a cute animal. I don't know where it's from and I don't care. He's, she's got a cute naked mole rat as a friend. Yep. Her parents are literally a brain surgeon and a rocket scientist. <laughs> and it's interesting because her arc is dealing with failure, which is not something you see in kids' television. Her whole thing is she is just a, like, unbelievable overachiever you know she is doing captain of the cheerleading squad and running after school activities and being a super spy and getting great grades and it's a cartoon so there's not a huge arc but if you look into it in the uh, tv movie there is her coming to grips with the fact kobayashi maru that she mm -hmm. cannot win all the time and it's a really solid show it's 2002 so they could have gone into total danger girl trope category uh where she's a stunted man child with no relationships but kim is not that at all she's empathetic she's sensitive she's into traditional girl hobbies and yeah i think it's a very very solid cartoon from the era mm -hmm. i'm shocked there's only four seasons i just, no, that I don't was, know if they were spinoffs or they're just like really long seasons because I feel like this no. went on for a long time and it's like well, I'm a a of, of, I don't care. Yeah. But there, there were a couple of TV movies wrapping up the storyline, but you know that was the Disney Channel's mo. The Disney Channel doesn't usually do like it's it's 10, almost nomadic and for TV shows. Like none it, it, come to mind. It's about actually. three three to four is the magic number yeah. for Disney Channel, but it is yeah. it does have the distinction of having like a Disney World attraction. It, it had interactive stuff in Epcot you could do as uh, Kim Possible. Can you hug the naked mole rats? I, I don't I don't know. I only like I, I saw it there rats. and I, I didn't have any knowledge of the, the series just because we're entering the era of me having to steal all the shows he wants to watch because he's not going to pay for cable out of his Chinese food delivery budget. Did not get to see Kim Possible. How many kids just like thought naked mole rats were made up or something and then when they grow up and they find out what naked mole rats are actually like <laughs> because they're really weird they basically their society operates more like an insect society than a mammal one they're so cool oh, I, I, I love it i keep thinking i'm hearing you saying naked mole rats like some kevin smith triple x parody <laughs> 
if you could make some effort to make that movie dirtier. But I was spending money on games back in the day. 2002 games Dead to Rights on Xbox. I'm guessing a port. Um, I know that was on PS2 as well. Not very memorable. And I, man, that reboot was so silly. But you could, you could play as a dog. It was originally supposed to be an Escape from New York game. And oh, shit. now I'm just wishing they would have made an Escape from New York I game. Know. There needs to be more Kurt Russell games because he's not getting any younger, but he can still do the voice. Dude, I don't know if you have seen his son in a lot of stuff. Yes, Wyatt. Wyatt watching Under the Banner of Heaven. And every now and then, okay, actually this happened twice this week. So I'll just say it here because I have nowhere else to say it. Please. Uh, uh, Wyatt Russell and Under the Banner of Heaven and Maya Hawk on Stranger Things are two kids of famous people. Yeah. And I don't really I don't really see it. And then they get angry. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that is Uma Thurman's daughter yep. right there. Yep. Because <laughs> you only get to see oh, her uh, scared in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But every once in a while, she really channel- she, channels her mother in the new season of Stranger Things. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, it's the third or fourth episode <laughs> where she has like a big speech. And it's like, she's going to pull a katana, man. It just, just, look out, that is Uma Thurman's daughter there. I can't breathe in this fucking dress. And <laughs> <laughs> Endgame on PS2. Don't get excited. Rare PS2 light game, which means it's uh, pretty much unplayable today unless you've got an old CRT TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, Digimon World 3 for PS1, because, you know, it's never too late. Disney's Lilo and Stitch for GBA. Coming up. This is the weirdest game. Okay, I got to talk about this for a second. Chris, you grew up on Capcom games like me, the Disney side scrollers where it's. Uh, DuckTales, Rescue Rangers, or uh, Mickey's Castle of Illusion, you know, Mm -hmm. you kind of expect something out of a Disney side-scrolling game. But this one, (laughs) it starts as a metal slug shoot run-and-gun game as Stitch. Then you switch to playing as Lilo in a stealth mission where you can hide behind a bush that you bring up yourself. And then... You switch to a rail shooter, (laughs) and then you switch to Stitch in a tank. (laughs) And that that is not my natural progression when I think of a Disney uh, GBA game, you know? I don't, but there's a lot of pretty shit in this game that, like, where did this come from? Where are these enemies from? It's it's total batshit. Very well designed and and fluid sprites for things that I don't think have any basis in the movie at all. Uh, I have I played this. I have... Stitch getting a tank, but it has been a while. <laughs> if anyone was going to do it, he's my uh... favorite Disney princess. <laughs> and uh, that about wraps up 2002 in kind of record time. We're going to close out with Days Go By by Dirty Vegas because we needed something to do after rock music, and this was it for a little while. Honestly. Next week, this is a lull week. We're getting a bye week for 2002 next week. Mm. Next week is ridiculously overstuffed. So I'm glad that we can get this stuff out of the way now. Dirty Vegas taking us out. But we got so much more to talk about, including that alien movie I teased a segment ago. So stay right there. Hello, Mr. 
Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of June 3rd through 9th, it is June in 2022. And that means we get to talk about the legendary month of June 1982, celebrating its 40th anniversary of a whole bunch of really, really good slash important genre movies. Specifically sci-fi, we got some horror in here too. Hey, did you did you catch what JR mentioning Kobayashi Maru? Hey, guess what turns 40 this week? The goddamn Kobayashi Maru scenario, because this week in 1982 saw the release of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, and if this did not succeed, there would not have been more Star Treks, period. Star Trek One, it's very slow, it's very grand, and it was fine, but it didn't get anyone, like, super excited to redo this, and so... They make something with a lot more action, a punchier villain, super memorable scenes, lots of actually having stuff happen instead of like long sequences of flying through a cloud. And yeah, Star Trek Wrath of Khan, is it still the best Star Trek movie? Probably? Yeah. I don't know who you stick up against it, really. I mean, there's plenty of people like four, plenty of people like six. It's the only like good uh, next gen one. Yeah. Eight. I guess that's eight. Yeah, like those are the, the, that's their main competition. But like Star Trek Two is so like it's one of those things that's so foundational now that it's like you watch it, you feel like you've seen it. If you've never seen it before, you feel like it's very familiar because it has been ripped off and homaged so freaking much in the last forty years. Same with uh, our next movie coming out the exact same day in 1982, celebrating its fourth anniversary, is Poltergeist, possibly directed by Toby Hooper. <laughs> There's a lot of Rumors that Steven Spielberg was shooting stuff because he was annoyed at Toby Hooper's pace. Uh, he has a screenwriting credit, which he doesn't get very often, Spielberg. And again, it's like such a foundational haunted house movie that you've seen it parodied so many times. By the time you actually watch it, you're like, oh. I think it goes really well with another Steven Spielberg movie kind of talking about life in the suburbs in the early 80s that we will get to talk about, I think, next week. I can't believe these two things go together so well. But uh, Poltergeist has got Joe Beth Williams, Craig T. Nelson, little Heather O'Rourke, and um, they moved into a house. And it's very suburban, and all the houses are on top of each other. But it turns out the developer was a shady son of a bitch. And now there's skeletons in the pool. Real skeletons in the pool. <laughs> yeah, Poltergeist, absolutely so well done. So many just freaky little sequences of just... A lot like Alien, where it's like, there's a big empty space in the frame, and I know that fucking clown is going to show up there. I know he's going to... Oh, God damn it! you got me anyway! So, yeah. Fun double feature, I guess, sort of. Star Trek II and Poltergeist out the same day in 1982. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. I'm confused. Coming into 2012, that's why God made the radio by the Beach Boys from their album of the same name. Their 29th for their 50th anniversary. Their 50th anniversary was 10 years ago. Yep. Huh. God only Ooh. knows. Do do we still have them all? No. Mm, well, no, we don't have Dennis. We haven't mm. had Dennis for a while. Mm -hmm. Okay. Unfortunately, we still have Mike Love. I think. <laughs> that's the one no one likes. 
The, the guy who fired all the other ones? Because I know I saw... Yeah, Brian Wilson is involved in this, so... I saw Brian Wilson live so a few years ago at a very fucking, what would you, a Silicon Valley horseshit gig, and the rest of the Beach Boys were with him, despite the Beach, the Beach Boys in name being on tour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Al Jardine was standing next to, uh, yeah, Brian, yeah, anyway. Is there a really good film or TV sh- uh, series about the Beach Boys? Not, I've always wanted to learn. Yeah, I know my there, dad like that. Would need to be a miniseries at least. The John Cusack yeah. movie. Oh, what was it called? Um, yeah, John. There's Cus- some documentaries here and there, but to tell yeah, the right. whole yeah. story, that's at least. I mean, it's going to take you ten episodes to get to to like 1970. I feel like they're going to wait for Brian Wilson to die, probably because <laughs> he is so not well yet still performing, and most people don't want to talk about it yet. And, and and he was so and there's video I saw one documentary on them and he's very clearly not well then what he am I talking about well pretty far back yes he, he had a lot of mental problems partially because of how they were brought up which oh yeah needs to be part of the movie you can I believe you can hear a track of their dad like berating all of them um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Beach Boys 10 years ago I'm as confused as you are also new releases from 10 years ago we got uh, Live from the Underground by Big Crit the Industrialist by Fear Factory, Freak Puke by The Melvins, uh, We Will Write the Words by Rocket Summer, and Looking for Myself by Usher, somebody that I used to know, but Gautier is still number one. Let's A little bit of news to bring you into 2012. Tiger Woods claims his 73rd PGA Tour victory, now tying Jack Nicholson's record. Yeah, I shot yeah. a perfect bird. <laughs> I know. Yeah, when Tiger took a year off, PGA ratings fell 40%. I mean, that's how big Tiger Woods is and was in the golf game. I mean, golf is such a different sport than most other sports. I mean, Tiger Woods has been a major player in the golf golf scene since 1996. And it's utterly possible that 25 years from now, He's still a major player in the golf scene, and that's I, not true in any other. Sport. I thought I was. He's big now. He's a big deal in golf. I don't understand 20- why not televise me me throwing cards at a hat. I, yeah, I, I was going to say, and that just proves that golf is not a sport; it's a game. It's a game. It's a game. Come at me, golf pros. What are you going to do? About I that? I disagree. <sighs> it's a really hard sport. It's it's takes so much skill mm-hmm. and so much effort. And but it's PVE, it's not PVP. Also, this week, uh, the Solar Impulse completes the world's first intercontinental flight powered by the sun. Solar powered space. Flight. Yeah, neat. And then 125 billion dollars in loans given to aid uh, Spain's struggling banks. So in 2012, you know the Great Recession is four years in. And people are still very scared that it could turn into Great Depression 2.0. At this time, the banks in Ireland had really gotten bad, so they got a bailout. Then the banks in Portugal got really bad, and they got a bailout. Then Greece, and now Spain. And there's this pattern going on, and people are going, oh my gosh, where is this going to stop? Because Italy's banks were really, really bad at this time, too. And the Italian economy is so much larger than the Irish, Portuguese, Greece, and Spain economy all combined that people were very worried that if that domino flipped, 
things could get very bad very fast. And it didn't, but no one knew that at the time. Bring Again, his- look how, where has Ireland gone in those 20 years you were talking about Patriot Games? It's become the Celtic Tiger and then it's part of the fucked club of Europe <laughs> for a while there. Yeah. But then it made a full recovery and it's it's a very, very high income level now. So, yeah. Probably, yeah, it's on my short list of places to flee to. I think we qualify for Italian citizenship should my dad file for it, finally. Yeah, um, yeah go for it. However, I'm not sure Italy is the best place to go to escape fascism. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, <laughs> it's... <laughs> point. And moving on to movies of 2012, uh, January 3rd to the 9th. Didn't know, didn't, hadn't heard of this movie. Deborah Winger, Jay Farrow, Evan Moss, uh, Backrack, uh, Bill Pullman, Hamish Linklater, Zoe Lister Jones, Joel Kinnaman, and Greta Gerwig in Lola Versus. Yeah, versus. this, I mean, for as much as it sounds a bit like Francis Ha, uh-huh. this, this got creamed in reviews pretty bad where it's just you know uh she's gonna marry this guy but then he breaks off the engagement and then she's like i don't know what to do and starts like dating other guys and i don't know what what to do and then he's like i want you back and she's like i don't know what to do the problem is it's a story about a woman going on a journey of self-discovery and that journey never extends beyond her current circle of friends and family Mm. so you know, it's it's not exactly spreading her wings to fly here. It's it's a yeah. lot of navel gazing. Yeah, I admit I didn't even get around to watching it. I was like, well, I'm, I like these people involved. And then the reviews were pretty brutal. I'm like, I think I can skip. Compared to our next movie, which has a lot of people involved that I like. Which yes. has, I think, the best reviews of any movie we're talking about this episode. Really? Something like a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's crazy. Wow. Uh... Which for It's such a little movie, but... It's more, it's like more historically important than it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Like I, I, I liked it, but I, let's talk about it. I didn't, I mean, I didn't hate it either. It was just like, it was just ugh. Marilyn Reskub, uh, uh, Lynn Shelton, Karen Sony, Jeff Garland, Jenica Bagheera, the Puma and Jungle Book. <laughs> Kristen Bell, Jake Johnson, Mark Duplass, and Aubrey Plaza, and safety not guaranteed. Uh, it's based on based on the famous newspaper ad. What I, I was wondering about that. I was wondering, did because I've seen that newspaper ad floating around the internet. Was that pre-existing and they copied it or was it made for this movie and then it became an internet thing? It was pre-existing. It was written by the editor of Backwoods Home Magazine in 1997 as a joke. He he used to fill the classifieds with jokes when they didn't have enough stuff to fill the space. And then, you know, it became like people thought maybe it was serious and it was on, you know, like Jay Leno's headlines and it's just been passed around since then. They had to do the work of tracking down the originator <laughs> of an internet right. meme to get the rights for yeah the ad saying wanted someone to go back in time with me this is not a joke you'll get paid after when we get back must bring own weapons i have only done this once before safety not guaranteed <laughs> and so uh Derek connelly the screenwriter kind of came up with like what's the backstory on this like let's make a movie about who would place an ad like this and people wanting to go talk to him about it and uh he got his buddy Colin Trevorrow to direct it. It costs about $750,000. Yeah. And then those guys got the Jurassic World gig. That's the craziest <laughs> thing about it. But Spielberg fuck? saw this movie and like this guy, this guy, this mumblecore fucking romantic comedy with light, light time <laughs> travel elements. 
because this is almost an homage to Spielberg. You know, instead of kids on bikes, yeah. it's adults in their cars. And, you know, uh, to spoil the ending, so skip ahead for 30 seconds, they show that he actually did make a time machine. And to me, that was a mistake. They yeah. should have left it ambiguous. They should have been like, this is all in the guy's head. He's finding meaning from it. You don't have to take it literally. But then when they just show it's an actual time machine, it's just like, well, okay, I'm not sure I get magic is what real. You were going for. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I was not sure if I should take the machine itself literally because, yeah, it starts out with, you know, Ar Aubrey Plaza and some, uh, you know, other folks she works with at a magazine, like going to try to track this guy down, as played by Mark Duplass, who had the ad and he says it's all about regret i mean the whole movie is really about regret he regrets that his girlfriend died and then they find out she wasn't your girlfriend and she's not dead and his answer to that is like oh i guess it worked me fixing the past it's like this could all just be the delusion in talking and yeah you keep that ambiguous you could kind of go either way i mean but maybe that isn't a time machine who knows? Maybe he just blew them up. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more ambiguity. But up until then. Yeah, up until then, it was, I, I took it to be a not time travel movie. Just, it's a character study about someone dealing with their own issues in a non-normal way. Yeah. And I mean, that overlaps with like Jake Johnson's character, who's like, I'm looking for this girl that I had a crush on, like as a teenager. And yeah, it's about people wanting to go back and fix past mistakes and sometimes realizing like, that's not, that's not the answer. Mm -hmm. Or is it? But yeah. I mean, it was charming. It was fun. But, um, generally uh, likable, but still like, and, uh, this the, is the guy. The You're most... going to give... <laughs> like this gigantic $200 million Not, yeah, effects the, budget. The movie. screenwriter and the director go on to make the next Jurassic Park trilogy, which is very hard to say still with a straight face. And Colin Trevorrow hasn't worked on any, since this has not worked on anything but Star Wars and Jurassic Park. Yeah. I watched this movie on a plane, I think just because like, let's see what the new Jurassic, what the fuck? How did this guy, and not, not that the, the, I love Jurassic World. Mm -hmm. the, I fell asleep at the, the, what is it? Fallen Kingdom? Yeah, I didn't care for it. But like, care. that's the only reason I watched this. And like, I, I don't see the DNA here. Like, how do you watch this? And, like, this guy, he's the one to bring dinosaurs back. I don't get yeah. it. I don't get it at all. I see the guy who made the uh, Monsters movie going to make Godzilla. I don't know how Trevorrow gets that, even though if you've read his alleged Star Wars treatments, holy shit, do I wish that was episode nine. Good yeah, Lord. That, the, yeah, the Duel of the Fates. Yeah, good the, the Lord. The treatment sounds much better it sounds like a, a direction that actually makes sense to me yes compared to wow I, I haven't heard of this is it just floating around out there yeah i don't think yeah, okay even Derek Connolly, the writer of this and i think one or both of them are credited uh, somewhere in the rise of skywalker things because like they work everybody's working on a script whatever but yeah there's one called duel of the fates that makes a lot more sense yes. as a continuation of the previous two movies it instead of undoing them. Instead of undoing stuff and introducing a bunch of new characters who do nothing and mm -hmm. faking us out with the deaths of old characters. Yeah. Man, is that movie a waste of time. <laughs> anyway, speaking of franchise <laughs> promise, Rafe Spall, am I saying that right? Rafe. Rafe. Uh, Sean, Sean Harris, Logan Marshall, Green, Guy Pierce, Idris Elba, Charlize Theron, Michael Fassbender, and Nomi Rapace. Uh, this cast. Ridley Scott is back, taking the reins of the franchise he helped create, Prometheus. 
They're smiling. I think they want us to come and find them. It's a star map. No, not a map. An invitation. For whom? Prometheus has landed. If you're going down there, you're going to die. From the director of Alien, Blade Runner, and Gladiator, Fuck. this summer, the search for our beginning could lead to our end. That's Prometheus. Let me just say right off the bat, right off the bat, <laughs> I didn't rewatch this movie for this, but I have rewatched it because it led to one of the more fascinating experiences I've ever had in my entire life. And it did hold up on a second viewing. We saw it in theaters, a couple of us, and walked out of the theater like, fuck me, that was amazing. And then we sat down over beers and discussed it and watched everything fall apart. <laughs> in, like, And then I watched it again, like it's still structurally, if you don't think about anything, mm. a fun... Well, because Ridley Scott's not an idiot. It's a good-looking, well-paced sci-fi movie until you think about anything that happens. And it hmm. is so internally inconsistent that it makes me a little bit nuts because there are yeah. so many good ideas in this. And I, I like to just point it at, at Damon Lindelof because he's a co-writer. There you go, lost fella. That that guy is so great at setups. And then he ends up pissing me off with the payoff, mm -hmm. like every time. And the, the, this one, though, it's not even that I'm pissed at the payoff. There's so many things in between that just are so internally inconsistent. Like, does this do that or this or who's that? Why did it? Why did that guy do that thing? He uh, said he was going to do that. My fa my favorite thing about it. it is like, remember, these are all the world's most skilled scientists. Oh, look at that! I'm going to touch it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No! there there are a number of really groaner moments in this oh. i had taken about a 30-year break from the alien franchise i had seen alien threes in theaters and then i i watched some of the other ones later on so actually i guess about a 20-year break uh because in my 20s i watched alien and aliens and then for the show i rewatched alien Three, and that was the only alien media I had ever seen in about 20 years. And then I watched this one. I think it's fine, honestly, for what it's trying to do. It's trying to be something different mm -hmm. in an alien film, which I can respect. Yeah, because all the, that ad, they don't tell you it's an alien film because it's kind of like not. They, they, they wouldn't, like, if you remember during promotion of this, they wouldn't say it. Everybody knew it was. In the trades as being greenlit as an aliens prequel or like the literal spawn of Xenomorph, but Ridley Scott would not admit to that in, until the movie came out. Seriously, but everybody knew it. Uh, everybody knew this was an alien film, but like it's kind of ballsy. They they didn't promote this as an alien film. Yeah, I can't think of that ever happening before or since. I, you know, I, I, you have this worldwide famous IP. Let's make another let's play movie it down <laughs> in that universe. Yeah. And not promote that it's part of that IP. I don't get it. I, and and for for ninety nine point nine percent of the movie, it's not an alien movie. Well, it's you know it sort of is, but like it's kind of never an alien movie. Yeah, but kind I appreciated of. that. Like that's I I like the idea that yeah, this is a prequel about scientists going on this expedition to find basically God. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. so, who, who are I, the creators of life? And then they find like, oh shit, they seem to all be dead. Uh, what? Also, there's black goo everywhere. Let's all 
let's all touch it, I guess. <laughs> Take yeah. our helmets off and breathe the air on this planet. <laughs> Assholes. Never heard of viruses. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So fundamentally, this movie is about the quest for objective meaning to human existence. Right. Okay. Uh, you can believe the point of human existence is whatever you want. You can absolutely do that. There's no real evidence that the meaning is inherent there, but our sense of self and a social construct means that we want an objective sense of meaning to exist. And so in the 1960s, a book published called Chariot of the Gods. And this was saying that humans come from aliens and basically therefore we get our meaning from being created not by God, but by aliens. I saw Mission to Mars. But yeah, but but <laughs> just because hypothetically, I don't believe it for a second, but even if we were created by aliens, that doesn't mean that whatever reason they created us for is the objective statement of what our meaning is. You can create something and have it be created for a completely different purpose than you ever intended. And that's the path that goes down. If hypothetically you had a child with the intent of having the slave, that doesn't mean that child's objective purpose is to be a slave. That just mm -hmm. means that's what you created it for. Similarly, if the aliens in this movie created humans, that doesn't mean whatever purpose they created us for is the objective purpose of our existence. Yeah, but I'd, I'd still like to know because we see them doing it on purpose. Yes. And, and that seemed to confuse a lot of people. The movie opens with, you know, this giant white dude and he drinks some black goo and he like breaks down into DNA and then the DNA starts recombining. And basically that's where life comes from on yes. Earth. It's like there's so, so much there that like I kind of wish it were in the alien universe and had absolutely dick to do with aliens whatsoever because i think it would most... be a better movie if it was not an alien yeah yeah, the, yeah maybe I mean, the most interesting thing about it is the idea that humans looking for their creator and they're doing this by bringing along michael fassbender who's an android who knows his creators and seems to not be very impressed with us mm -hmm. and then no. starts with us. again star trek <laughs> five that's I think it's okay for a science fiction film to raise questions without answering it. Yeah. Like, I think that, well, why were we created? An answer is hinted at in this film in the android. Mm -hmm. We created the android because we could. It's possible whoever created us created us because they could. And that's it. That's, that's I, it. I, I think you're, I feel like that's giving this movie too much credit because it's not creating questions for ambiguity's sake they're making questions for fans to follow and hope will be addressed in future films and i should say right off the bat i'm gonna guess none of us have seen alien covenant i've right. seen alien covenant you have because I, I don't know how this follows up i was so disgusted <laughs> with my first viewing so of I, Prometheus. I watched covenant after watching this film this mm. week right. uh, because i wanted to see where this plot line was going i pierce what the fuck <laughs> it is Another swerve. It's a it's a completely different movie from this. They don't carry along the plot lines that well. If you're looking to improve this movie by watching the sequel, I don't think it's going to do that. That's you. what I heard. And I, man, the best thing that came out of the Alien Covenant, and I should just wait to talk about it. Then was Danny McBride, and <laughs> then Danny McBride doing interviews, long form interviews, and some people don't know or forget Danny McBride is a 
fucking film major and like just happened to start starring in his films from because he couldn't find anybody. But he is a, a student of film and, and uh, he seemed to have a deeper understanding of the Aliens movies than anybody who's ever made one. And <laughs> I, I only stand by that because I heard him talk about Halloween before he made a Halloween movie and his Halloween movies have been fucking excellent. Give Danny McBride fucking alien. Jesus Christ. All right. <laughs> Getting back to your point that Please. this film only raises questions to answer in a sequel, I don't think that's 100% true. I, like, I don't think so um, either. I think it, ans- it raises questions just to have something happen. Mm. And here's my example. What does the black goo do? We don't know. It seems to break people down into their component DNA. Or it turns them into kill-crazy monster guys. Or... Uh, there's there's an eel thing and it'll attack you and bad things will happen too. Can I can I or can I, yeah. it's some sort of weapon and they're coming to kill us all? Can I can uh, I that question is answered in the sequel? Oh good. Well, it's I don't yeah. care. Hopefully that won't yeah. diminish. I don't care. That's not the movie I'm watching. Hopefully that won't diminish one of my favorite things on the entire internet. <laughs> uh, I obviously I who doesn't love red letter media? But in my opinion, the best thing they've ever done is the four-minute video they made after Prometheus premiered, which is just two two men asking questions about Prometheus. Why did Whalen want David to infect Holloway with the black goo? Did David do it on his own? Was it to find out what the black goo did to a person? Did he have a malfunction in his robot brain? Was David a secret asshole? If the black goo alters people's DNA, why did a little fish come out of Holloway's eye? Why? Did David know that Sean Holloway would have sex right after he infected him with the black goo and that she would instantly get pregnant with a squid alien somehow? Is he an expert in things that have never ever happened? If we share the same DNA with the engineers that created us, why do other life forms on Earth not share the same DNA? The engineers landed on Earth and created life on Earth, and how come there was 65 million years of dinosaurs before us? Why would the last engineer waste his time hunting down Shaw and Charlie's Theron when he could have just flew his ship away and completed his mission? <laughs> it's just yes. four minutes of I this. Honestly, the chariot from the gods hypothesis is stupid and dumb, and I hate seeing it in film. But the film that has done the best to have a logically consistent and understandable reason for that is Moonfall, the movie about the moon crashing into the earth. (laughs) I am serious. It had the only believable chariot from the gods theory I've seen in any fiction. My favorite takeaway from the red lit is he an expert in things that have never, never ever happened, happened. Ever because happened. but yeah, yeah that's exactly how i felt like there were some things i understand why they're doing them i don't understand why they would do that particular thing instead of something else it seems like uh it would make a lot more sense it's more obvious i will give this movie this one thing that fucking med bed sequence that is that is, i was gonna bring that up yeah. Now, med beds in movies make me really sad because there are so many QAnon people who think that they're real and they're being kept from them. And some of them are not seeking actual medical help, thinking that a magical med bed is going to come save them. Mm. Let's go get actual medical help. But the magical surgery bed, which does not really exist in this movie, is some stress inducing closed quarters combat shit. And goes back to the pregnancy horrors of the original alien. 
perfectly. I was going to say that that's the, when I really felt like I was watching an alien. There, like that yes. was such an alien moment. I was definitely on the edge of my seat and squirming and yucking in that scene. That gives you the true body horror yeah. that the alien movies. Yeah, the, again, the movie is not made by an idiot. It's made by one of the smartest, no. well-versed film directors ever. But I He's, think its script I is fucking well awful. Made. Yeah, he's I, one of the best visualists of all time. I'm going to throw that out there. Maybe, yeah. yeah, and this is his first 3D movie. This is actually th- shot in 3D, which is really tough because you have to overlight things. Yep. And then they had to color correct things back down to being dark and spooky. And, and once again, but... shooting Iceland just for an alien planet. Iceland can double for an alien planet all, yeah. day, all day. But to me, that also speaks to the strength of Ridley Scott as a director, because watching this in non-3D, I didn't have any moments where I was like, okay, you're really throwing that 3D in my face. Mm -hmm. This is a stupid shot. I didn't get that. I I do have a genuine non-red letter media question about this film. Mm -hmm. Is Vickers a human or a cyborg? Mm, it is unclear. Yeah, and see, that's why I do think there is some deliberate ambiguity in this film that's not set up to be sequel bait. Yeah, I just, I, I really wish they just took another, another pass or two at yeah. the script because there's literally a point where Idris Elba just runs in and yells an explanation for something that there's no fucking way that he would figure out because that's not his job. He's not the science guy, and he's just like, I've decided this is actually a military base we're on. And everyone goes, okay, we all react like that is the truth. Like they called you on the phone and they told you that. He does a really good job with what he's got to work with, though. I I loved him deciding to die at the end. I thought he did a fantastic job. It's a great cast and everyone does a great job with what they've got. It's just there's an awful lot of things that just don't make a ton of sense. And sometimes they're just there like, well, I guess we need an action beat now. It, it, or it, it, I guess we need something spooky. Uh, there's like a couple things you could remove, and this would be a wonderful self-contained movie. Yeah. And instead, it seems to be setting up a fucking trilogy of some kind that never came to fruition. Well, there was a sequel, and then the final film in the trilogy seems to have died. Yes. We'll probably never, ever get any conclusion to whatever this was trying I, to be. That's, and that's what we didn't discuss last time, which I think is the weird place where alien is now. And by that, I mean in uh, Mickey mouse's hands. Oh God. Well, but they're not the kind of people to leave money on the table. And sure. they're not the kind of people who would let a movie as bad as the alien and predators movies have been out, <laughs> out and about. And uh, before, before Disney bought Fox, uh, what's his nuts? Who, who did a uh, district nine had mm. some palate cleansing, Retconny alien film in the works that would oh, let Newt live. Um, nah. That Fox canned, and it's just like Disney, do something else with this franchise. It deserves better than what happened to it, even here. I still think, in my personally, Alien Resurrection is the low point in the mm. series. I'm not a huge fan of the AVP movies, but I don't yeah. know. Maybe they hold up better nowadays. Prometheus is. One of the best worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It, it, it doesn't hold up to any mental scrutiny at all, but it's made by a master, like a, a guy who created the visual language of science fiction in our era and handedly makes a, an interesting movie to watch, but not an interesting movie to talk about and look into. I, I think even JR is giving it almost too much credit just be, because, well, you know, he probably did 
He, he was probably only interested. Ridley Scott didn't make Alien Covenant. He was only interested in making this movie because, like, yeah, I don't want to fucking yeah. make an Alien sequel. I don't have I have no interest in that. Bigger questions. Yeah, I'll take. Uh, uh, yeah, something headier. Yeah. Let me do that. I, ju- I do wish the headiness nature had been explored a little better because I just feel like Chariot of the Gods is honestly a stupid explanation and uh, it doesn't interest me philosophically and i don't think he handled it well in this film i recommend getting as drunk as you can and turning your phone off and just enjoying (laughs) this film because there's so much to enjoy and Mm. never never talk about it with another human being yeah don't don't examine (laughs) examine. a moment of it prometheus is profoundly frustrating (laughs) but it's no uh, Madagascar three. It's not number one. Yeah, it's this not number one. The box office franchise with the prestige on it and everything. Fuck you. The third movie in the wacky talking animals. Yeah, series. we took your Ben Stiller, okay. Chris Rock, David Schwimmer, Jada Pinkett Smith, Sasha Baron Cohen, and we added Cedric the Entertainer, Francis McDormand, mm. <laughs> and Jessica Chastain and Brian. Cur- the kids love Francis McDormand. They they, <laughs> they do. Madagascar three, ladies and gentlemen. Home. 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 Cheeseburger. Move it. How do we move through Europe without attracting attention? Wait. The circus. Just lay low. Right, Marty? The circus, Afro. Poke it out. Poke it out, Afro. Really? They've got one shot to get back home. Well, that was worth the price of admission. Everybody dance now. Madagascar 3. Europe's most wanted. Crazy. They're... The song in the background is Sasha Baron Cohen's character singing the song he did in the first, second movie? Mm-hmm. Is that so? Yep. I just like to say, when talking about DreamWorks cartoons, you know, mm-hmm. Kung Fu Panda is a Excellent. great trilogy. How to Train Your Dragon is a great trilogy. And Madagascar is a trilogy. Mm. It's it's <laughs> the it's fine. of the. I feel like Madagascar is like, it's it's the average one, well, the, the lemur like, king it's good it's not great <laughs> doesn't do anything new but it's good i like i don't get bored i don't get frustrated i'm entertained the penguins are the most culturally lasting aspect of the madagascar trilogy yep. and they're bit characters they're the throwaway gags yep. um they're the minions and the, and the lemur king yeah. But yeah, none of that is the main storyline. None of that drives plot in a major way. It's nope. just a gag machine, basically. Yeah. And, and they get that's this because... off, and this is the last proper Madagascar movie. Yeah. The Penguins get their own movie and a Nickelodeon show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they get spun off because, I mean, uh... they're less complicated. They're, you know, they're they're a little army squad or spy we group. We don't or, care yeah, to watch can, We'll watch them die all day. Movie. They can be made to do anything, but yeah, this one, I mean, this, this literally wraps up the series. Their whole thing was they are from the central park zoo and they ended up in Madagascar and then they ended up in, uh, elsewhere in Africa and now they're trying to get home and then they do. You know, I thought the same thing about toy story three and then four came out of nowhere and like, bam. So not counting. I don't think there's a Madagascar four that's possible in the way that Toy Story four was. Toy Story four had something to say. I can't see a Madagascar four having anything. (laughs) Did Madagascar two have something to say? No, no. The the series peaked with one. Every Madagascar film was worse than the previous Madagascar film. Yeah, they they didn't become bad. Bad. They just weren't as good. Yeah. But, you know, they they 
actually achieve their goal of getting home. And then they realize, oh, wait, we're different people than when we left. And being home, it turns out, no, it's not that great. You can't go back on the farm when they've seen them big city lights. But it's open-ended enough, they realize, like, traveling on with their buddies in the circus. You know, that's that adds, there's familiarity, but adventure. That's the good balance. And it's like, oh, that's a nice lesson for kids. That is a good lesson. Yeah, but, you know, uh, change is good. Don't freak out about it because sometimes change leads to better things or a combination or whatever. And it's cute. It's funny. Whatever. Yeah, they're fine. They're fine. Yeah, it's fine. And I, I think that's all we have to say about this. So maybe we should yeah. move it, move it, move it, move yeah. it. <laughs> Come on, move it. <laughs> Over to television of 2012 into, man, maybe the last MTV Movie Awards I ever watched. No, I watched, I watched last year's MTV Movie and TV Awards. Which, uh, they were at least smart to like consider there's not really a difference between TV and movies for kids anymore mm-hmm. during a pandemic, especially. So let's just give these awards out to things that are popular. <laughs> MTV <laughs> Award 10 years ago with uh, Russell Brand hosting. Sorry, I'm just seeing, wow, what is up for movie of the year is quite the array. <laughs> um, Hunger Games, The Help, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, Bridesmaids, and the winner... Twilight Saga Breaking Part. There we go. Breaking Dawn Part One, which I will remind you is not actually a movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I really you know, I thought I thought Hunger Games would take that one actually. Uh, why is the help there? Why is the help in Bridesmaids there? Yeah, it took the the, the male and female performances, so you'd figured no. Yeah, you, they'd save that uh, the same way the Oscars saved um Return of the King for <laughs> Breaking Dawn Part Two. Melissa McCarthy for Bridesmaid, best comedic performance. How about that? Okay. The best on-screen dirtbag, Jennifer Aniston, Horrible Bosses. Yeah, this is sort of why I stopped watching this. Yeah. Well, they always have, like, the couple makeup categories. They just both, yeah. But you're just seeing, like, it's Bridesmaids, <laughs> Hunger Games, and Twilight winning all of them. And Harry Potter, too, which is the only, well, the, that and Bridesmaids are the only good movies. No, I love I love Hunger Games 1. Yeah, whatever. Uh, whatever. Generation Award, Johnny Depp, 10 years ago. Wonder if that'll be rescinded. No. The Walt Disney Company announces that beginning in 2015, it will impose limits on advertising for food and beverages across its kid-targeted media properties, such as television, radio, and internet, only to accept ads for those that meet certain nutritional guidelines. And that lasted about six years. <laughs> Shocked it went that long. My goodness. I mean, like they they were like, we're not going to McDonald's isn't healthy. We're not going to be part of Happy Meals. Going to McDonald's huh. right now. It is Disney again. They they went back. They you know because what is yeah. what is Wendy's going to get you? Uh, yeah, they, they went back in all this. But the, to be honest, the funniest thing yeah. in the world, and I never get tired of talking about it. If you don't watch the Disney Channel, if you're listening to the show, you probably shouldn't be unless you have children. They don't have commercials. They have mm-hmm. mostly advertisements for a thousand other Disney. They have so many more things <laughs> they need to advertise for free that Disney sells that they don't have any room. <laughs> to advertise grilled cheese sandwiches and fucking and, and McDonald's. And when they do, I just remember they were advertising Just Dance and it was a two minute commercial at the very end. They're like, Just Dance and Ubisoft are proud to partner with like, oh my, this is like NPR-esque. You have to swear <laughs> fealty to Disney in order to get your product on their air. And, you know, Radio Disney is now shut down. I don't know what their internet ventures look like necessarily other than YouTube. But uh, but honestly, I think that 
ban was a good thing and i kind of wish it would have continued totally uh, childhood obesity is a real issue and uh it's totally I, I think um a lot of the food is garbage i think if i and i i this is just at a glance in the supermarket they don't put a lot of their products on cereals like with marshmallows and frosting and all that shit i see mickey and donald on oranges and apples and hmm. uh juice but no longer candy cookies sugary cereals i don't see many disney characters on those products anymore hmm. so they may have stuck to it in, in, in that in that respect but like uh yeah i'm sure there's disney owns hulu espn espn has a wing zone advertisement every five seconds and there's nothing that'll kill a white man faster i i but but for kids in general like if our generation grew up sold basically poison and <laughs> it's been uh, riddled with diabetes and obesity in a way that i don't think other generations were so i'm uh, good on disney if they actually stick to it. the season season finale of game of thrones which season two. season two this is yeah, great yeah this is great yeah Season two is one of the most amazing seasons of television history. This I had, is when Game of Thrones Valor is starting Mo, to become Mogella. I, I had I as, and some, as someone who's read the book read the books, I gave up on the first season, didn't really care about the second season, and then kind oh, of seeing out. the battle in the of the book brought to life in the this episode was astonishing. And like no, that I, was last yeah. episode. Game of Thrones yeah. continued a thing that most of the best shows do which is the second to last episode yeah. of the season is the mm -hmm. fucking crazy one mm -hmm. and then the next episode that's the last episode of the season is the fallout and the setting up and the cliffhangers for what's coming next so last week we had the battle of the blackwater mm -hmm. which is fucking awesome yeah. and then so this pyromancy everyone getting pointed in the direction that they're going to go in the next season even if it's you know Arya going off to learn to become a baby assassin or uh was it Tyrion's dad taking over and like yeah. uh fucking Joffrey is gonna marry that other lady now so Sansa's off the hook or is she oh man just every scene's a banger yeah I don't know what to call peak Game of Thrones because I I was such a fan before the show but this drew me back in into watching the show and I never stopped after this. That's a tough discussion of what is the best season. It might be three. I think I think three is the one where like this is a genuine phenomenon, and we're going to spend a shitload of money to make sure fine. this is extravagant as fuck. Yeah, but, <laughs> but Battle of the Blackwater. I mean, it's the first time where I don't think they have like other scenes going on. They don't really have like other storylines. It's like we're just down here in this battle mm -hmm. and setting everything up and the tension, and then. Oh, hell breaks loose. But what I most missed in the later seasons that you get in season two are some fabulous character moments oh, where yeah. they're not advancing the plot, but they're really showing you who these characters are. When Tywin is tutoring Arya, who he thinks is just some nobody from Flea Bottom, but he's sensing smartness and intelligence in her. He teaches her things. And this doesn't cause any great earth-shattering things. It doesn't really advance the plot. But you see inside both of those characters' heads so clearly that you can't help sympathizing, empathizing, and caring for both of them. And the later seasons just throw that all away. Dude, yeah. they just I they know, don't do that. I know exactly what you're talking... Because, like, 
books are obviously a better medium to give characters nuanced mm-hmm. moments like that and and to build more nuanced characters and just give characters in general more moments than plot. And the, I think the first two seasons mm-hmm. of Game of Thrones did that so much, I thought it was dull because I already knew the story. Like, no, I want to see the big moments recaptured there. And by the time they get to the, is it the sixth season? Where like mm-hmm. George, double, yeah. old Double R doesn't have any books out and has to basically give him his cliff notes. And, uh, and I, I was like, whoa, holy shit. This is definitely advancing the plot. This is faster than the story has ever moved. And I was excited. I'm like, the show's never been better. And then it gets to the last season. I'm like, oh, this is just like a YouTube highlight reel of what a real story is with <laughs> none of the nuance in fast. between. Yeah. It's, you, you went too fast. Yeah. And- well, I think, I mean, the uh, the Arya Tywin stuff is a good example of something that wasn't in the books that, that was made up for yeah. the show. And yeah. it ends up flushing out both those characters because otherwise they're in the same place, but they never get to talk. So mm-hmm. why not? Have yeah. Give them an excuse to talk, and we get to know them both better. Oh. Yeah, it's great shit. Man, was that one of the best episodes of the last season, where you just see all these characters talking for the first time or only time in <laughs> yeah. eight years? <laughs> best thing, and it's like, oh shit, yeah, those guys were on opposite sides of the Battle yep. of the Blackwater from five seasons ago. And they're like, hey, so we're all gonna know? die, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, do you know that guy blew up your son? Yeah. <laughs> you got anything to say? Yeah. Oh, you're both going to die tomorrow, so you're cool now. Okay. Game of Thrones. And then Mad Men this week. Commissions and fees. And what happens here? I don't want to say. Oh, boy. Spoilers. 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 Lane commits suicide. And you see him running out of choices all throughout this episode. And to be clear, suicide is not the right choice. If you have any uh, feelings, call the suicide hotline. This episode underlines a good reason of, yeah, if you kill yourself, you're just hurting everyone around you. That is the biggest thing. The only people who are ever hurt by your suicide are by definition people who love and like you yep. you know people who hate you or don't know you or don't care about you won't care about your suicide so the only people who will be hurt are people that love you yep. and that's what we see in Lane's suicide uh, it starts with dawn spotting the fraud that lane had been committing and it's a slow burn throughout all the season and it pays off here and he has to quit or he'll be thrown in jail. He quits, and then when he goes home, his wife buys him a Jaguar to celebrate his success. And then he decides to kill himself with the Jaguar because That's pretty cool. the car... his wife so much anyway. Yeah. Kind of darkly funny how... <laughs> yeah. What are you even doing? He can't do it, and so he ends up killing himself at work. Yeah. And who does that hurt? It it hurts the people that he cares about and who care about him. So if you're thinking you're very, very depressed, you're thinking about self-harm, I have been there. I have a history with self-harm. Please get help because we care about you. Remember when like punked made headlines because it was about like really horrific pranks on the general public and recalibrated mm-hmm. itself to yep. uh, pranks on celebrity, which sometimes were horrific, but like, that's fine. Like- See, that's why I think Crank Yankers should have like not done average people who are making minimum wage answering the phone. I didn't say it, but it's done celebrities. It's it's they had to do it that way because only calls from and to Las Vegas. Can you actually legally record? Huh? Seriously. Like they had to like, 
reroute all those phone calls from there's there's only like two states they were allowed to oh, call right. from in right. two party recording laws. right yeah right. you are not allowed to record someone without their permission yes right. except in uh vegas and uh, probably in other... a couple of states yeah, yeah. no you know it was like two and i think but when they redid it it was like only vegas only yeah. nevada <laughs> Just Clark uh, County. Yeah, and they, and they they obviously could reroute the calls from L.A. to there, but anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, Punk made headlines for a thing where they, I think they had people come upon a suicide victim, oh. Uh, oh. members of the general oh. public, but then, then, then decided, like, you know, it's more funny to pretend to wreck Wilder Valmarama's SUV. And mm-hmm. Punk ends on MTV. Is this the end where it was the fake end? And then No, the, it, it was it ended and then it got rebooted. But without Ashton. Right. Yes. I got rebooted yeah. on BET. Okay. For like uh, a season. And then on Quibi, I guess. I didn't even know that. But Right. Yeah. Eleven seasons though. Well, yeah. one issue for why it ended was because as the show became more and more famous, it became harder and harder to pull celebrities I because love that the shit. cast started to be semi well known. Yes. And mm-hmm. Celebrities were also looking for it. That's where we get Dax Shepard. He had to quit, I think, because he became too famous for being on the prank show. Yeah. I I did find it pretty telling that this show had a rule that if anyone displays a weapon at any time, the prank has to come to a dead stop at that moment. And that was a rule because someone in the Black Eyed Peas pulled a weapon one time. Oh, no. Was it Apple to Apple's? Whatever's I have no his, idea. Whatever his name is. Yeah. <laughs> and... I'm amazed that doesn't happen more often, frankly. I'm just like, I'm going to start throwing bottles at you. Get the fuck away from my car. Yeah. yeah. Video games of 2012. This brings me back. Inversion on PS3 and Xbox 360. I think one of the only like cover stories I'd written for a magazine. Um, one of the, the few uh, where I'm just like visiting a publisher and I'm like dealing with these developers for like a month. Just one of those things that... It, in the print days took for fucking ever to write. And it was just an ex- excruciating process that I was doing freelance oh. in addition to internet stuff. Did sweetie have to get edited by a big, bad editor? <laughs> oh no, no. Editors are great. We didn't have those on the internet. It was just more of like Jesus Christ, like getting permissions. And so I, I, I wrote yeah. the reveal yeah. to, for this, to the, to the, to the world, if I'm not mistaken. And this was like, like gears of war, if you could take cover on six sides of a cube because you're in space. And I don't remember anything else about it. Oh, I was going to ask, because this seems like an interesting concept. It's a 3D shooter where gravity goes all wonky. Yes, a cover shooter where gravity goes insane. And so you can take cover. Whereas in Gears of War, man, you can only go right to left and take cover where you can go up, down, over, and under. And, you know, that's interesting for like once okay (laughs) instead there's a whole game made out of it madagascar 3 the video game on 3ds nintendo ds ps3 wii and xbox 360 obviously they're all distinct classics and we can't we never (laughs) stop talking uh, about them it vaguely follows the plot it's a collectathon it suffers from the classic problem that is very hard to be funny in a video game and madagascar is primarily about jokes so So you have to reload those jokes when you fail uh, Art of Balance Touch with an exclamation point on 3DS. Originally a WiiWare title where you balanced. I don't understand how that's interesting on a 3DS. It was but... interesting when a rabbit did it with a pancake. <laughs> <laughs> Why not here on the 3DS for $40? <laughs> and that almost wraps up the show. Stay tuned. We're going to tell you who died during this period and do a little quiz you can play along with about who, who was born during this this period. But uh, we want to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. 
listen to Laser Time, Video Game Apocalypse. Mercifully, I was like, hey, Michael, there's a Tom Clancy anniversary. What about Tom Clancy games? And he's just like, uh-uh. Like, I'm <laughs> too close to Tom Clancy games to pick the best. So we won't be doing that, I know. Video Game Apocalypse this week. But we all had a ton of fun with other games this week. And we'll have a top five, tell you about the new releases, the news, some other stuff. So stay tuned. Die. Die. Where are you at? You can find me on the Twitter at ListenNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, the 302010podcast. Coming up next week, like I said, 2002 is kind of light this week. Next week, it gets pretty hardcore with the birth of the goddamn singing competition. Oh, oh. Juggernauts, plural. And also, we have Nicolas Cage going to World War II with John Woo. Oh, oh, oh. We've got uh, Matt Damon killing people with magazines. Mm-hmm. And they're not even the number one film. What? That's right. That, that's a live action cartoon adaptation. Oh, boy. Oh, my oh, gosh. Whoa. They may not hold up 20 years later. From the Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> I believe so. Or, yeah, yes, I believe director. He wrote it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. We shall see. J.R. Where are folks talking about you? They can't. I am ghosting the internet for the months oh. of June and July. I'm taking a break from social media, but if you want to find me on the Twitter, it's J-R-R-A-L-L-S, although I won't be responding for a while. Read his backlog tweets. Everything he had to say about Ugly Betty holds up. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> and then with that out of the way, we'll talk about who died, including two of my favorite writers ever. Yeah. Oh, it sucks. So in 1992, we lost Bill Gaines, publisher of Mad Magazine, only mm-hmm. 70. He had a pacemaker, a lot of heart problems. Uh, very big man. He's a very big man mm-hmm. with a very large beard. But uh, EC Comics, all the I mean, stuff he, going he, back to the early 50s. Changed, he, he changed so many things about the medium of illustrated writing. Was the subject of, a, what would you call it, a congressional hearings for the nature yeah. of content. Yeah. Uh-huh. Shifted that into humor and subverted all his detractors some I, I i was seeing some detractors about mad magazine like yeah just a bunch of right wingers like whoa, whoa, whoa you're thinking of national lampoon mad magazine is really just silliness um yeah. and parody like it really isn't out to make a point or offend anyone and he's sort of part of that and i did has some there... amazing progressive things in terms of writing for ec comics and Mad magazine has there ever been a good film about seduction of the innocents Ooh, shit! It, if there if there was, it would have had to have been a TV film that's forgotten. Okay. If it was a, yeah. anything else, I would have seen it. Listen yeah. up, HBO. That sounds like yeah. a good one. I did not realize his father was Max Gaines of All American Comics, who mm-hmm. okayed Wonder Woman. Yeah, nice. He was the guy who accepted that proposal from uh, William Moulton Marston. No, no, I th- yeah, I think he it was the family business. Comics were the family business. I read a partial biography on on Bill Gaines, and yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget. It. I love Mad Mag- Mad Magazine was one of my first favorite things. It really did shape my sense of humor. And I know yep. Mr. Diana Goodman, uh, Michael Raparas is with me on that. Mad Magazine. We we were when the magazine went under. Michael and I recited a song parody in a magazine that we remembered from 1989. <laughs> crazy, crazy oh. to think about that we we've never heard this. We've only been able to sing it to ourselves because <laughs> it's written. Get it? Uh, oh, my. All right. Well, in 2002, we lost D.D. Ramon. Somehow, the basis 
of the Ramones made it to 51 until heroin finally caught up with him. He's buried at Hollywood Cemetery. He's got a pretty cool grave. I visited it once. How, oh, do we have, then, we have one Ramon left? I think we might be out of Ramones. Wow. I mean, they were so different that the drummer was the only one that survived for a long time. I right. think we might have lost him now, too. Ugh. Usually the drummer goes first because they they all crazy. And then in 2012, yeah, Chris's other favorite writer, he said Ray Bradbury died at 91. Uh, a giant of sci-fi there's like i there's yeah. nothing i can say i there's i will nothing. say that my favorite story about him is the way he broke into writing is he, there was a typewriter at his library and he had to put coins in it okay. to get time to write and so he spent all his available money to write some of his first stories and mail them off. And that's dedication. I mean, if you're facing a blank page, it's one thing. But if you're facing a blank page <laughs> that you have to keep feeding coins into, keeping blank, that's going to cause you to write. Oh, my God. But, I mean, fucking Fahrenheit 451, Martian Chronicles. Martian Chronicles is the utter shit. It's mm -hmm. great. And I don't go back and reread Ray Badbury that much. But every Halloween, I'll throw on like an episode of Dimension X or X minus one, an old radio show that will adapt those stories into nice. extremely palatable 20 minute formats. And they're wonderful, like uh, absolutely wonderful. Uh, Doc, they my were family had watching the Halloween tree, which is, yeah. of course, based upon him. Still in Disneyland. A annual Halloween tradition. Yeah. So. Still a Halloween tree in Disneyland, I think, based on Ray Bradbury. Yeah. Seriously? Mm -hmm. I don't believe he wrote a couple Disney movies, yeah. Oh my God. Well, he did write just about everything. I think he did the uh, the script for the John Huston adaptation of Moby Dick. Wow, did he? Whoa. Of all things. Yeah, he, he wrote some screenplays for things that were not sci-fi. And, and just a dumb thing I research as a film dork. Mm. I would always read about King Kong. And the most famous person people could talk about who saw King Kong the day it came out was Ray Bradbury because King Kong was so scary they cut eight minutes out blah 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 and instead of leaving that and putting it on a DVD release that didn't exist in 1933 they just threw it away so Ray wow. Bradbury was like the most famous person people could ask about like you saw King Kong like twice <laughs> before they cut this footage out he remembered and there's still photographs of it and Peter Jackson tried his best to recreate it but yeah Ray Bradbury was in like every King Kong book talking wow. about <laughs> seeing the initial King Kong in 1933. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, that's out of the way. Should we do birthday quiz? Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Turning 67, born June 2nd, 1955 in Missoula, Montana. Not a real place, but keep going. He received his bachelor's degree in broadcasting from San Francisco State University. Oh, wait. No, no, no. no this can't really? happen again. What age? What age? Uh, turning 67. 67. Okay. In 77, he won the San Francisco stand-up comedy competition. Oh, okay. That's not the direction I'm going because San Francisco State is my alma mater. Wait, what, what year okay. did he win the stand-up? 77. Oh. 77. Dana Carvey. Yes. God damn it! Carvey. I should adopt that. He's like one of the most famous yes. San Francisco-born comedians. Other than Keenan Thompson, he's the best SNL alum that's ever existed. Yes. Can, can I actually read some of the things I ever researched Please. with these times? This is the second time this happened. I blame so. JR for everything. All right. Yay, he, Dana Carvey. He had a minor role in Halloween 2 in 1981. Yes. Oh, my God. 
In 84, he had a small role in This Is Spinal Tap. Mm-hmm. Right. He's a mime. Yep. He was a finalist for hosting Double Dare. Wow. Oh. He withdrew his name at the last minute to accept the job at SNL. Wow. That's in after 19- the sitcom he was in with Mickey, Ro- Mickey Rourke? No, no, no. Mickey Rooney. Uh, yes, yes. He was in One of the Boys in 1982, a short-lived <laughs> sitcom with Mickey Rooney and Meg Ryan. Wow. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. In 1990, his brother Brad designed the video, video toaster. Ter- toaster. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the basis of uh, Garth. I can read this. Okay. And yes, yes. <laughs> Garth is based on Brad. Uh, movies we've talked about so far include 1986 The Tough Guys, mm-hmm. 1988 Moving, 2000 Little Nicky, 2011 Jack and Jill. Oh, and here's, here's where we get super easy and you would obviously get it. 1990 Opportunity Knox, 1992 Wayne's World. You know, I'm George W. Bush. These blowy things are the best things that could be installed in a baseball. I'm doing quotes from a movie no one cares about, but that's how he (laughs) sold the hand blowers by doing an impression of George W. Bush while the executive is taking a shit in the stadium. Wow. I did not know that he actually graduated from SF State. I had heard that he did not graduate. If I can't trust Wikipedia, who can I trust? Most uh, SF State alumni. um, Honorary. (laughs) not graduate because you're in san francisco go do the thing (laughs) yay all right dana carvey you're cool dana carvey is the it's it's super caveat-y to me he is the best snl cast member of all time other than keenan thompson but keenan thompson is so good because of how long he's been there and how much he is like dana carvey in my opinion there are very few people who can smile and not give away a sketch but keenan always looks like he's having a good time it always looks like he's in on the joke he's capable of improvising these are things dana carvey did as well and and keenan looks more comfortable on snl than almost anybody else other than dana carvey who is one interesting debate i usually go for phil hartman as my vote because he can play authority figures which is often hard true for comedy dorks Dana Carvey also, not unlike Keenan Thompson, doesn't do well outside of sketch and sketch characters. They mm. excel in that medium. And, you know, we all like Good Burger and, <laughs> and Opportunity Knocks, but you just want to see yeah, these guys right. do do exaggerated characters. Okay. Well, we're rambling, so I think we I should am. go. I appreciate <laughs> uh, to commemorate the death of Ray Bradbury. Oh. Was... <laughs> Good call. Who was it? That was me. That was God me. WJR. I still haven't watched my crazy ex-girlfriend, but every clip of Rachel Bloom I've ever seen, I'm completely in love with her. And this is genius. This, this is it's amazing. Out. Yeah. This was her, her breakout song, Fuck Me Ray Bradbury. It's a obviously it's a banger of a song, but the really hilarious part is that Ray Bradbury was still alive. Yes. And had started his YouTube channel. And there's a video of him like shriveled and decrepit watching this, like they're gonna get a reaction out of him. But even he's like, what the fuck is this? What is it? Can you say this? Like, he just, he doesn't even react, but he's watching this video of this girl dressed like Britney Spears talking about wanting to fuck him hours before his death in his 90s. (laughs) Something wicked this way may come. And by come, I mean ejaculate. We have to go out with this. You should see the video. So good. It's fantastic. The greatest Uh, sci-fi author in history. I'm familiar with his work. All right. But... Take us out, Rachel Broom, patreon.com slash laser time. Follow Diane on Twitter. 
Listen to JR's other podcasts. I don't know. Love your neighbor? Whatever. Get yeah. vaccinated. Don't be an idiot. Rachel Bloom, take us out. Come on, baby. I'm down on one knee. I carved our names on a Halloween tree. You write about Earthlings going to Mars. And I write about blowing you in my car. You won an Emmy Award for the screenplay adaptation of Halloween Tree. Fuck me, Ray Crash.